2: What is up? Not much.
1: Long time no see.
2: Yeah, yeah, we've had some uh, unique circumstances here in the uh, the Hart's podcasting dungeon. Um, you, you did a, a solo episode on a Sunday, which is normally our joint day. I did. So, yeah, so that was because I had my grandma passed away. My grandma died. I, I don't like when people say passed away. Um, so I was I was M I A there for a little while. Uh, but we're back now. Uh, we lost a real one though. So
1: yeah, your grandma was a nice lady, man. Yeah, she
2: was a great person. Mm. So. Uh, I'll probably do a solo episode talking about her, maybe soon, eventually. That, so.
1: I would be, I would be interested to hear she that. She an man.
2: interesting lady. So.
1: I mean, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the reasons that you have affection for your grandma are stuff that. You didn't, you didn't share with me until recently. Sure. And like when we were talking about being homeschooled and stuff, it's like, when we yeah. were kids, we didn't really talk about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but so it was kind of like the first time you mentioned that to me.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, and when I say that I want to do an episode talking about her, I mean, I am going to talk about her, but more or less, I'm going to be talking about <clears throat> um, existence and death and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And uh, just how the loss of my grandparents over the last couple years has given me just an, you know, an interesting... uh, It's a new perspective, you know? I mean, I've had my... I had a grandpa die back in 2004, and it just didn't have the same effect on me because I wasn't um, as emotionally and intellectually developed then as I am now, Mm. you know? so
1: Yeah. Yeah, Getting old is weird. We were talking about that... um, you know, at, at the at the at the wake, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting getting old and seeing you know, the generations that came before you start to fade away, and then being less and less able to pretend like your time like your time isn't yeah. isn't coming.
2: Yep, TikTok, it's weird, man. Yep.
1: Uh, but I was telling I was telling my wife um, that my fear of dying is basically gone. And I talked about that like, you know, the mystic experience basically did that. It gave me this gift where I see things a little differently, so I don't fear dying anymore like 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 I explained to you before like my story is going to end and and the anxiety of that is unbearable like most people when they think about dying, that's what they're, you know, that's what they feel. That I don't feel that way anymore. But it's still weird. And I told you this, it's still weird feeling like like I'm old enough now where I look back at uh memories of my dad at my age and yeah. that's a weird thing man it's weird because it feels like who it feels something like uh i've 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 got his old job yeah you know like i like i i i go to work in his office every day yeah and his and his name tag his name tag is on an the interesting
2: door interesting way to put it that's it's cool. weird it's weird my uh Fiance, Chelsea, asked my dad how old he was when he married my mom mm. the other day, and she said, uh, or I'm sorry, he said, I think he said he was 31, so that's that's younger than I am. Oh, it was, yeah. Uh, you know, it's yeah. weird. Weird stuff.
1: Well, a good, um, a good decision, though, because getting married before the age of 28, in my opinion, is... Um, I mean I want to, uh, the word I want to use is suicide but I feel like that's too that's too suicide. strong too strong of a word.
2: Yeah, I mean you don't die. Well, sometimes, sometimes you might die, but most of the time you don't die, so, but some, it can fuck things up.
1: Yeah, you, if you get married at 20, some part of you is going to die.
2: Yeah, you know, it's weird. I have this uh part of me does like romanticize that a little bit. Like getting married young, having a bunch of kids. Yep. Um, but I uh, another like part of me definitely sees how that is not You know the most rational approach i guess yeah yeah the
1: thing the thing that people don't realize when they're young and when they're most capable of having a bunch of kids like you just said Mm -hmm. um you know while they're dumb enough to make those decisions not being able to afford it which is like some of that is like a necessity like if you if your brain was mature enough that you knew what what was involved with that responsibility um, you you know you would not have kids, so you have to be dumb enough to some degree to make those quote unquote mistakes so that the True. species continues. True. But but you know uh, but but wait but waiting this long to get married I think is good um, for for that reason your brain is fully matured and you're not uh, you know yep. you're, you're ready for it. Yeah. So
2: I feel ready for it. Mm. I think. So what are we doing today, man? So today we are. Uh going to talk about a podcast I guess it's kind of a podcast about a podcast yeah it's a podcast about a podcast Um, it's a podcast that I've known has been coming for a while they recorded it forever ago and i tried and failed to initiate a conspiracy theory about why Jordan Peterson wasn't releasing it, mm. never, never went over though.
1: Oh, but. so because you because you follow Michael Malice's podcast, you knew that this this one was yeah. was it recorded? Yeah, Michael Malice uh, had said
2: he was on Jordan Peterson's podcast, and I was like, oh, sweet, it should be coming out any day now, and <laughs> then it was like a month and a half or that, something like that. That's
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
2: mean, you know, I, like it was just all in fun. I don't really, I wasn't, you know, I don't think there's actually anything conspiratorial, but.
1: Well, hey man, I want you to tell us um, about Michael Malice and how you found out about him and a little bit, a little bit of that. Before you do, I want to, I want to tell uh, the listeners what I told you before we started recording that uh, I figured out finally how to use this how to use this mixer that we use for the podcast yeah. to have a phone call with somebody not in the studio. So I had it. I had another interview podcast just like we did with Sam. So it's the second one, right?
2: Alex Jones. <laughs>
1: no, this no. this this one was with uh, Josh Hamilton, oh, okay, who cool. he was a. A buddy of mine that we've known for a very long time not that you and he were ever friends or close friends but but you you guys knew each other yeah yeah, he he was my next door neighbor basically Mm -hmm. we had some interesting shit to say and he and i had had a bunch of conversations recently when we reconnected and we decided to record one and we had a we had a great one both of us were very happy with it we recorded it on friday and uh as soon as we were done i realized that what happened to you and I on our very first episode happened on this one. Yeah. So I, I worked out all the technical kinks. I got everything working. We, we talked for two, almost two and a half hours, and uh, none of it recorded. That sucks. So the reason I bring that up is to that really sucks to laugh at myself for having made that mistake again, but also to tell the listeners that that's coming up. So it's going to be. Um, the own, the the friend of mine whose whose history goes back uh, deepest, um, apart only from Kyle is this guy Josh. He, we're gonna have him on, and he's working on getting his own podcast going. So that'll be cool.
2: Sweet, more podcasts the better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: All sure. right, so podcast about a podcast today is our favorite psychologist Jordan Peterson. Having an interview with uh, one of your favorite um, person that I love personalities, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: I, yeah. I would call him, uh, I guess, an internet personality. Uh, so uh, on some level, he's like a pundit, a political pundit, um, just a, a general troll. Uh, okay. Michael Malice. Uh, the way that I found out about him was Joe Rogan. So
1: and it's probably the same here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. So what's he all about? I mean, before we get into this, what would you? How would you put? Michael Malice into a box for the audience.
2: Well, it's hard to put somebody like Michael Malice into a box because the a lot of the ways that you think of you know, the general ways that you would define right and left, he kind of will align with some of those and defy others. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. So he's one of those kind of characters. I, I would. Uh, I think people have compared him to like Loki, you know, like a trickster, oh, a trickster. Like somebody who just wants to um
1: stir uh, the pot.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's very good at it. Uh, so
1: he he argues both sides of shit just 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 because? Like um, that kind of thing or?
2: Yeah, I think you know, like let's say you're arguing with somebody who is a typical right-winger on Twitter, okay? There's a pattern of behavior that you're going to kind of expect them to kind of operate inside. You know what I mean? Michael Malice doesn't operate inside mm. of those those procedures. So, so
1: so it makes for a lot of uh, awkward, intense conversations.
0: It, yeah, and it
2: just makes for a lot of people being exposed for it's like you don't believe that I uh, what am I trying to say here? It's like, okay, you're operating inside of this like laid out, you know, this is how liberals behave, this is how conservatives behave, mm-hmm. you're operating inside of that, you're expecting me to operate inside of it too, mm. but I don't, mm. and it, it and it makes it to where, it's like, you're expecting me to be a robot, and I'm not, I'm like, an, I'm a person and I think about things, and um, you, you can't like, try to shove me into this box because that's how you see, that's how you see things, you know what I mean? You
1: know what that reminds me of? What, what calls this to my, my mind is a—you brought this up once, I believe. Uh, do you remember this? It was an NPR podcast about football, about the Native American League in the early days. Uh, oh, yeah. When this was like post-Civil War, and all the Ivy League schools had these football teams, and football was this brand-new sport that was created to like give, the, give these young kids an outlet. Like simulation of for, war. Of war, exactly. <laughs> and the rules—it the, was brand-new. And at the time, there was no passing the football. Yeah. It didn't exist. And these Native American leagues developed and were playing like Harvard and getting just their asses kicked. You know, I mean, the European, um, the, the European Americans that were on these Ivy League schools were like, you know, well, they were the best fed, they were the rich kids, they were bigger, they were stronger, and the Native American uh, teams were getting, were getting demolished. And eventually the coach that was coaching the, the Native American team said, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't throw the ball. So the reason I bring this up is because they ended up they ended up beating Harvard. These, this this Native American team that you know surprised the world. You yeah, know, yeah.
0: just
2: a little and, innovation, and
1: just a little innovation. And so the, the the reason I bring that up is because you were basically describing the game, this political game that that, that we're engaged in and the culture it's not real it's not real it's that's why i call it a game it's got it's got its own language and its own and its own rules and you just you just described michael malice coming into that game and just making everyone play a different game yeah and that's what the native americans did during during that football game that's true yeah absolutely it's brilliant yeah you know
2: uh it's interesting because they talk about games in that podcast Mm. yeah i'm sure you or you will remember that at least um yeah it's just interesting um So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to know, like, in general, what you thought about that podcast. I mean, I know you know who Michael Malice is, but I feel like that was um, more of an insight into Michael Malice's beliefs than it is when he's on Rogan. On Rogan, he's kind of, I don't know, just giving a commentary on politics in general. Mm
0: -hmm. uh, I feel
2: like they got into a little bit of the – I can't talk – a little bit more of the meat and potatoes of what Michael Malice thinks on this one. Yeah. So,
1: so uh, where I, where I found that was interesting is when they talked about anarchy mm-hmm. and uh, I'm like, so I, to be honest with you, I'm going to have to refresh my memory with these notes as we're going along here. Sure. It'll bring some of these things back to my mind.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have notes that I'm going to have to reference too, but,
1: but uh, yeah, but I do remember they, that they talked about anarchy and, uh, and Jordan had an, an interesting perspective where they were going back and forth the way that Jordan did with, um, with Sam Harris mm-hmm. about definitions. Like they were trying to get on the same level with, with their language. And uh, it was interesting watching, I say watching, but listening to that back and forth and listening to that play out. It was like, um, it was like the first round of a, of a, of a professional boxing bout. Where the where the fighters are just uh, not that they were com- you know com- combative because they weren't yeah but they were feeling each other out and uh, and getting on the same wavelength and then the conversation was really really good man
2: yeah I mean I agree with you they're not they're not hostile but they're and Jordan Peterson even says this at one point uh, he's talking about when he knows a podcast is going well and he says that it has like a pugilistic element to it mm. so that is that implies some element of Combat. I mean, yeah, I guess combat, sport at the very least. Yeah. Um, so I know what you mean. Um, I think, um, yeah, I guess they were kind of trying to dial in the language. I didn't really think of that that comparison with the Sam Harris uh, thing, mainly because I was entertained by this conversation, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that the Sam Harris ordeal was not that entertaining. Yeah. So.
1: So. Um, so. I, in the beginning of that podcast they they made it out like um the fans on both sides on jordan peterson's side and on and on michael malice's side were eager to get them together, mm-hmm. so that this was something that they'd been asked to do they finally get together uh i mean i don't know where you want to begin if you want to begin chronologically if you got some something specific you want to hone in on Uh,
2: we can just start chronologically that's cool so then
1: let me ask you a question to start this off Mm -hmm. um did you say you read his book or his most recent book yeah okay right yeah okay so that that was my first question so we heard in some of the dialogue in the podcast world uh in this circles um words like the um uh, what is the dark web? The what is the what is the phrase that they use? Uh, the intellectual dark web or yeah. whatever. So th- so there's these f- there's these phrases that get tossed around trying to describe these new types of political thinkers and then these new types of political philosophers or whatever that are popping up that are just social social you know uh, commentators. They're not you know pundits. They're not they're just regular people that have some unique um, you know uh, perspective, and the new right. Is is one that was brought up during this uh, podcast, and I, I mean, I don't really know what that means. So that's my question. But is that something like the intellectual dark web? Are we talking about the same thing? Or is what's what is what does he mean by that?
2: Um, <clears throat> so I would I would categorize the intellectual dark web as more a collection of thinkers and philosophers, and most of them are on some level like celebrity thinkers and philosophers, sure. you know, we're talking Jordan Peterson, we're yeah. talking uh, the Weinsteins, Rogan on some level, Harris, yep. Ben Shapiro yep. um, so that's that's kind of how I view the intellectual dark web, what I see the new right as is more I mean, you have those types of people those those thought leaders and stuff like that in that new right movement but when you say, that, when I say the new right, I think of the people, like like the population, and I think that's mm. appropriate because I do think it is largely a populist movement. Mm, so.
1: Okay. So how would you describe that? Uh, I mean, is there an easy way of describing that in, in layman's terms? Can we put a box around that and say some, some that somebody who's a part of this populist movement that is, I, I'm assuming you would say more conservative because we're calling it right. Sure. So what is it that they believe that the traditional... Uh, right, or that the, you know, that the current right Rhino Republican progressive sure. kind of thing isn't.
2: Okay, so I think a lot of that, the schism between the new right and the kind of establishment right, right, is just that it's that the establishment right favors the establishment, favors the maintaining of the establishment. Um, they just think that oh, if we just replace all of the cogs in the machine, the machine will be good. See, that's interesting. So somebody like
1: Michael Malice can say that there's a legitimate uh, reason to be optimistic, that there might be a, a, a grassroots political movement that's brewing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but he's the same guy that talks very, very seriously about anarchy. So it's kind of interesting to me that we're, t- we're talking about it. This guy wrote a book about the new right. Yeah. And the, the author is somebody who would rather not have a state at all. So we're, he, he's describing a new political party But doesn't want to state at all So
2: Well he's writing like a commentary On um, a political movement You know what I mean he, You know, I wouldn't What am I trying to say here I would say that Michael Malice So there's this thing That he says himself He says if you want to find out If a person aligns himself On the right or the left You ask them one question And it's are some people better than others? Mm. And if the person says yes without hesitation, they're on the right. And if a person gives you a speech, they're on the left. Interesting. And he says, and I agree with this, I say yes, some people are better than you others. Know, uh, on some level, depending on the standards by which you're judging, yes, some people are better than other people. Um, so that, you know... That's where I come from, and I think that's where uh, no, I know that's where Michael Malice comes from too. I mean, see, know.
1: that's so that's that's difficult for me, man. Um, some people are
2: better than others. Well, um, is LeBron James better than you at basketball? At basketball, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. Like I said, it just depends on the standards that you're setting mm, for that. You I know? see. Um, I see. I think uh, so. A lot of the time when you talk about right versus left, you're talking about, like, establishment, people who are into the establishment politics. Now, when you talk about anarchists, like Michael Malice is, when you say right versus left, you're talking more like philosophical ideas, like a right-wing anarchist, which is what I consider myself. That's more like... Um, you know, I, I favor, like, capitalism. I favor just leaving people alone, yep. letting people do whatever they want to do. A left-wing anarchist is going to, like, veer more towards communism. So I uh, I think that, um, I don't know, I, I just think that, I think that the right-wing, if you want to do communism, like an anarcho-communist thing, you're more than welcome to, you know? Um I don't know. I I just think that uh, the right the right wing side of it allows for the left wing side to exist, whereas the left wing side, I feel like they're going to try to slap some kind of limitations on people. And I that that's not a in my mind. Then it ceases to be and I, I don't know ceases yeah. to be anarchy in some way.
1: Interesting, yeah. interesting. But so okay, so then um, then the, the I might refra- reframe that by saying then the new right, um. The new right that Michael Malice is talking about are um, are going to share things in common with establishment conservatives. They're going to share things in in common even with you know regular Joes that that uh, are conservative, you know, uh, voting sure. voting oh. Republican all the time. Things like support of capitalism, yeah. free trade, um, <coughs> individual freedom, liberty, you know, uh, uh, personal property rights, you know, like all of the things that that should characterize a good conservative or, or a libertarian, let's say that the new right's going to believe those things, but they're simply not going to have the allegiance to all of the things that we would say are, are corrupt, corrupt components of the establishment. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not beholden to uh, lobbyists or special interests or existing relationships or tra- trading money with everybody all the time. Okay. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful.
2: Um, So, yeah, I I really don't know what else I was going to say with that. So, um, I do think it's interesting that in the beginning of this, Jordan Peterson compared Michael Malice's book, The New Right, to that book we talked about in the Timothy Leary episode. Oh, yeah. uh, The electric (laughs) acid test. (laughs) Yeah. So, I'm going to have to read that book. I've got credits on Audible. I think I'm just going to go ahead and snag that one. Yeah, yeah. So.
1: Send it to me then, because you can send it to me for free, I think.
2: I don't think I can anymore. Uh, I think once you've done it, you can't do it anymore. Oh, shit. Yeah.
1: Oh, shit. Okay. Well, anyway.
2: We'll try. I'll definitely try that. Give it a go. Yeah. We'll yeah
1: I, should, I should probably read that.
2: Amazon, you can fucking afford it. Let like Chris have it. a book for free. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I did think that was interesting. Uh, I didn't, you know, I basically, I knew what the electric kool acid test was, but hearing it described as, like, like I said, a commentary on a movement, that's interesting. Yeah. And,
1: um. Yeah, I, I, I caught that, too. That is interesting.
2: Yeah. So, I'm going to have to check that out. Um. I, d- I also thought it was interesting that Jordan Peterson said that this new right stuff seems like history already, you know, it's like a lot of this stuff. It's like five years ago. Oh, so, um, I mean, you know, it's still, those people are still here and their thought has developed, but the stuff that he's talking about in that book is, you know, kind of o- old in news. The past. In- yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. What yep. did you think about the four chan stuff?
1: Well, that's interesting. So, I've got that right here. Uh, well, no, right here too. So, so well, okay. Well, why don't I do this? Why don't I read these these sure. couple yeah. couple of quotes about it, and then I'll tell you I'll tell you what I knew about this before I heard of this, yeah. and uh, we can talk about it. Okay. So, so in the conversation, in the beginning of the conversation, Jordan Peterson he he made a point. Now, I wrote this down specifically because. It sounded like something you brought up earlier, Kyle, when you said when you said, I think this podcast is going to be so interesting because I I'm putting myself in your shoes because I am more a creature of the Internet than you. Yeah. So it's like I'm going to have this whole perspective and all these references and things that that is going to be polar opposite from you. And a lot of that stuff you're not going to know. <laughs> yep. And uh, so that 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 thing about the uh, the sat the weird sounds, what's it called that people listen to and get off on?
2: Oh, MS uh, ASMR. Yes,
1: you didn't yeah. think I I would have heard of that. Yeah, and if you it did. wasn't for NPR, I, I wouldn't have heard okay. of it. and stuff like that. So this is this is something that rings true to, to that. Yep. that. Jordan Peterson said, said this. He said there's an immense divide between people who don't use the internet as their primary source of information and people who do. So if you're over fifty, he says you're living in the world of the seventies. Yeah, and uh, that's very true. But what scares me is that I'm I am right on the I am right on the edge of falling into that pit. Yeah. Because I because I'm finding myself reluctant to explore the new technologies and to I'm I find myself struggling to see value in popular culture. So it's like what what um what motivation do I have to like keep up with the times? You know whether it be who's famous and why, you know what the the latest social media platform is. I don't give a fuck, and that's the truth, man. It doesn't affect me. It's like this is whole world that exists that I could give a fuck about. And the thing is, if I don't play that game, I'm a little worried that I'm gonna that the world is going to shift to this new place, and I'm gonna be here all by myself, like Brave New World on the on the fucking island of the of the savages, you know.
2: Well, the shift has already begun. Um, So either jump on board or don't, I guess. But I think the shift has already begun. You've always been like that, too. Like you were mm-hmm. reluctant to get on MySpace, I think, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. so that's how long we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and oh. I have kind of been like the polar opposite. I've always like I, I pretty much create an account on any new social. I don't always use them, but most of the time I always create, uh, you know, a profile um, yep. And I just think, you know, A, I think it's interesting. I think that there's a lot of, like, like I watch a lot of YouTube. You know what right. I mean? Yep. Uh, one thing that's interesting about that, by the way, is I watched this on YouTube. Um, and I also listened to it in podcast form. And I think, at first I listened to it in podcast form, and I thought it was a little bit more combative. In some parts than it was when I went back and I watched it and I realized they were like laughing and stuff like that. See, and I don't and I don't watch it on YouTube. Yeah. So but anyways, I I watch a lot of YouTube and stuff like that. And I think that there's a lot of good content. I think when you give normal, you know, finger quotes, normal people, the ability to create content, a lot of the time they create really good stuff, especially if you can, you know, make the the means to create that stuff more even you know what
1: I mean oh yeah um, So well that's that's what this mixer that, that I have here has enabled us to do yeah. this mixer that we've got has simplified the podcast technology to the point where I don't have to be an expert and with, with under a thousand dollars you could have this set up and anybody could do you know a, a, a quality recording and you know to your point there's a lot of people in the world a lot of people and a, a lot of those people have interesting shit to say mm-hmm. and almost none of them are on t- TV or or you know radio yeah. or something Right? start a YouTube channel baby start a YouTube channel
2: but yeah uh, so that's my point is that I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff on these new social media things um, whereas you seem to not be interested you know you don't you don't think that the con. I think you're like suspicious of the content maybe I'll tell you what man I- I'm not a late adopter but I am not an early adopter. Okay. So, and, and
1: I, I don't have to explain this to you. I can just give you an example, a, a different type of example, and you will understand. Yeah. Every time, every time our mutual taste in, in music changes, evolves because the, because the scene evolves. It takes two years before I'm listening to the shit that you and Matt are listening to and enjoying it. Because the first time I hear that new thing, I'm like, oh, nope. nope. Not this for is, me. Nope, this, <laughs> isn't what I, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted. It takes me a while to come around. Yeah. And so that's what I'm seeing with the technology as well. Okay. And I don't see that with, like, pop culture anymore because I don't have any incentive for yeah. that so it's like with the technology um i have some <laughs> i have some incentive because it's it's important it's important to know how to do that shit but to know who fucking cardi b is to know yeah, who yeah. to know well, who you know uh b- billy eilish is i have no idea it's eilish no you idea fucking boomer i couldn't i couldn't point her out i couldn't point her her picture out billy
2: eyelash eyelash yeah so, i have no idea so to be fair i don't really keep up with like literal pop culture like What's going on with Billy Eilish and Cardi B? Yeah. I really don't know what's going on with that either. That's not my thing, um, you know. Kanye, maybe a little bit. I do. Got, I've got a soft spot for Kanye. That's maybe like the biggest pop culture type thing that I do. Um, although, I mean, it's not like I'm looking up on Kanye, but um, I would say that I am more in invested in like internet culture. So I I kind of consider those separate things. If you don't, I understand that, but I do. Yeah. Like I, it's almost like you know, there's establishment politics, and there's also like establishment media. You know what I mean? Um, and I just don't. I think it's kind of boring. Yep. What's going on here? Sorry. You got microphone problems. There's just a, l-
1: a little bit of a tapping that's driving me nuts. So microphone I- check one two. <sighs> All right. Well, so let's get back to this this bit here. So, so Jordan Peterson's explaining how important the like the culture is. If if you're one of those people that uh, you know is is reading the Wall Street Journal every day, let's say, versus somebody who's uh, you know visiting all their all their favorite sites um, and and getting information from all sorts of different places, that you're living in two separate worlds. And I get that. And then Malice comes in. He says. That the New York Times will claim a book wasn't published in America, so he says this, um, or by a reputable publisher, in order to avoid putting it on the New York Times bestsellers list. And he was talking about this specifically to do with Jordan's book, Jordan's books, I should say, um, because the New York Times doesn't want to uh, uh, give him any publicity. Yeah. Or Um, or anybody who doesn't believe. Go ahead. So
2: I think it's. It is about publicity. They don't want to, like, spread this person that they think is toxic. They, yeah. they would like to suppress that. But on another on another aspect, it's this legacy media, you know, machine. They also grant things legitimacy. You know what I mean? Yep. If they cover it, then yeah. it's, like, it's something that you can take seriously. Yeah, you're right. So uh, that's another aspect of it. Um, now, and, you know what? Let's stop on that for a second. Sure. Do you think that should
1: be the case? Like do do you think that, because this is interesting, this is like what we were talking about many many podcasts ago, where we said um, because the establishment or the old the old forms of media aren't don't control the the message anymore, because it's it's democratized now and everybody can, can say whatever they want and get a huge audience. Yeah. Um, that uh, I'm losing my train of thought, Kyle. Damn it. Um, th- Absolutely. Ah, it'll come. It'll come back.
2: Talking about should they be able to be legitimizing things
1: oh oh yeah that was it it was it was how can you tell um at some point whether a site is is uh whether you can trust a site or not sure um so there's basically a conflict between do we want to allow open access for people to flood the internet with information and you know that a big chunk of that might be bullshit but you're gonna get all this valuable stuff mixed in there, and if and if you filter the content to try to avoid the bullshit, that you might actually filter out these gems. So that you so that, you know, it's like, do we want the content to be reliable and trustworthy, or do we want to have all the information we could possibly get? And this is this is the argument that we're having today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, that's a, an interesting way to put it. I think. Um, I think that, like, the idea that an organization or some sort of institution could come along and, I don't know, offer things legitimacy or, you know, like, did they decide that they're going to put their considerable resources behind promoting something, Mm -hmm. like a a series of things, like the New York Times bestsellers list, you know, a continuous series of new books that they decide they're going to help promote. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I just think that when when you do that, and that's what you've made your reputation on, when you get caught slipping, like recently, Michael Malice released this new book, uh, The Anarchist Handbook, mm-hmm. and it's selling like gangbusters. But they're not they're not recognizing it on the New York Times because it, it, he didn't release it the way that they say you have to, mm-hmm. or some you know something like that. Right. Um, so, when you get caught slipping like that, that's going to tarnish your the thing that you are saying you're building your reputation on you're tarnishing it now yep. so, um, and if you do that, if
1: you do that, you have to take responsibility. you have to get out in front of that yeah. and they're not doing that
2: yeah that's a uh, that's something they talk about in here is that these people, these people you know these corporations, these like tons of people, they build their reputation on we're factual, we're going to bring you the truth, and then when they get caught lying or obfuscating the truth, mm-hmm. they never have consequences for it. Yeah, that's a problem. So, yeah, it's a real problem.
1: See, I think I think that um, the, the idea that if you um, accuse somebody of a crime that you should be held to the same punishment um, as if you yourself were guilty of that crime, if you were being dishonest. So the, the the idea is that if I say, hey, I was raped and this guy did it, but I'm lying, if if it turns out they find out I'm lying, then I get the jail sentence he would have got yeah. if he had actually raped me. So like that type of justice, I first of all that makes so much common, common fucking sense to me. I can't I can't tell you that why should we not why should that not be the case? Why should it not be the case that uh, that a news source be responsible for the accuracy of their story and if they're if if there's libel or something involved if they're lying in their story they should be held accountable to whatever the punishment you know should be
0: yeah
1: uh and the fact that they get away with that is
2: is a huge problem yeah um so i think that that is obviously a huge problem and i think I don't I just don't know where I think the consequences are gonna come from because you said they need to be held accountable and I don't know how you meant it um, but I think a lot of people when they say stuff like that they want the government to come in and slap their wrist you know what I mean um, I don't necessarily want that um, so it seems like how are you what is the solution then they but within give
1: it. within this existing system I mean sure, so yeah yeah no, within,
2: within the existing system if I if I lie, lied
1: about you verbally or in writing, so yeah. I don't I don't know which one is libel and which one is slander, um, slander spoken I think. I think anyway, so. uh, if I if I did that if I did that um, one individual to another, and that's I don't know what that's punishable by, but suppose that's punishable by three months in jail as yeah. a maximum sentence. If I publish an article, excuse me, if I if I wrote an article. I don't know who goes to jail—the publisher or the author of this article. Maybe both. Um, if if I if I did that, and it turns out something that I said was mit, was intentionally misrepresented or false, um, why should that why should that person not not be subject to the same punishment an individual would be subject to had they done it to me and I filed a civil lawsuit?
2: So, yeah, I mean, I see what you mean. I I, I definitely agree with the spirit of what you're saying, but I do think that you could maybe come up with some reasons why you shouldn't do that with some things. It's like... I just how, how do you build in the caution? How do you oh, no, How do you build it in? That says, I think look, that's a great way to build in the caution. Yeah. Uh, I just think that, imagine the scenario. A woman is raped, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and not even raped. She's like, let's say she's sexually assaulted, okay? okay. There's no, you know... Um, Afterwards, she doesn't have much proof, you know. So she, you know, so she goes to the police, and this legitimately happened to her. Yeah. She's not lying. They investigate. They can't find proof. Now she has to go to prison for three years. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the whole there's the whole in my in my solution. Well, I mean, I, I mean, obviously that's kind of I, I don't literally think that anybody would implement some kind of system like that black and white like that yeah. I mean I think that it's going to take some fine tuning well you know, you, know you, you, you point out it's a great point it's just like
1: the uh, the death uh, the death sentence argument it's like there's a good argument to be made on both sides um, of that argument um, the only way the only way that you settle that argument is if you can be 100% sure that the person's actually guilty yeah. and the truth is you, you can almost never be 100% never. sure yep. you know so I, I I don't know all right so, so let's let's rein it back in because there's right. there's another little bit to this where he, he brings up 4chan so this is what we wanted to talk about so malice says uh, something about 4chan that I didn't know he said that well, we'll and we'll talk about what 4chan is but he he said that 4chan uh, doesn't it doesn't permanently store the message board so yeah. uh, you know you can say things there and don't have to be concerned that that's saved forever and can haunt you in the future yeah. i actually didn't know that mm-hmm. um, but what i did know and you tell me if you knew this that 4chan began as a magic the gathering website i did know that. oh you I, did know yeah, that Yeah, yeah I okay heard that before
2: okay so then tell us about tell us about 4chan then what, i mean i'm not a huge 4chan guy but um i've been on 4chan um it's just a it's just like a underground message board I mean, at this point, I wouldn't even say it's that underground. It's like, I mean, 4chan's huge. Hmm. Um, now, the people, it, I guess you could say that it's underground in the sense that it's not, you know, as we've talked about establishment. You know, it's yeah. not like uh, it's not like you're going to CBS.com and getting on their message boards, right? So. Um, yeah I mean I, I don't know I really don't know what to say about 4chan other than it's a message board where you can say pretty much whatever you want right. uh, you know there's not a lot of speech censorship mm. going on so so
1: how does how does 4chan get away with that where somebody like Twitter or Facebook is, is getting pulled in front of, in
2: front of Congress? You know, I really don't know the origins of 4chan, but I would assume that the person who created it Um, wanted that, that you know, was what's the word I'm looking for? Promoting that ethos, that free speech. You're not going to censor people. We're just going to let it go. You know, say what you want um, with like very, very minimal rules. Um, So, and uh, you know, once something is established and uh, uh, on the internet, you know, this is something that I think we need to apply to the rest of the world, but on the internet, things are so decentralized that it's hard to like pull things down, you know? Yeah. So, once it's established as what it is, it, that that kind of, uh, that that culture is perpetuated mm-hmm. there. I think that, you know, I think that helps. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would guess that
1: 4chan servers are not in the United States. That's That would be my guess. Yeah, that's probably a good guess. <laughs> so when they were talking about 4chan, Kyle, and now 4chan goes back, this is like an early, early um, message board. It's like, it, it goes way back. So it's been around for a very long time. Uh, but today, Uh, I guess 4chan is filled with right-wing
2: conservatives? Is this what I'm... I mean, to Uh, to understand? You know, I don't... I wouldn't say that it's filled with them. I think that there are definitely other people there. Yeah. But I think that one... You know, and they kind of talked about this in this episode. Uh, So the new right, these people who make up this new right phenomenon... um, they're kind of outcasts you know they are like being shunned actively shunned from society right so you when that's happening to you you have to find places to congregate and i think f- places like 4chan end up being that so 4chan is the
1: underground railroad of conservative and libertarian philosophy it's the last the last bastion of
2: uh... i think it's the underground of like the extremes the radicals of like all philosophies mm, you know um Maybe there are exceptions to that. I don't know, but I think that you're going to find radicals of all, you know a lot of different shades of colors. Right. And so that that's the light that I remember Four Chan being talked in like about in in, in the old
1: days. That Four Chan was a place where um, where pe- people are talking very fringe mm-hmm. shit. Um, and so I guess that's interesting that conservatives would be on there today because the culture has changed to the point where conservatives are now are now fringe. And Isn't that crazy? It, you know, it's crazy. You know, like when I was younger, like college age, maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't have seen like the danger in that. But now I'm just, I, you know, I've lived long enough and I've heard uh, Jordan Peterson explain it too well uh, to to feel like um, there's any victory in crushing one side. Like suppose, suppose we um, as a culture succeed in stomping out you know, all of the conservative ideas and sensibilities. If we do that, and somehow everybody's in agreement and on board, like we have one national narrative and everybody's goals are the same and we're all living in solidarity in this utopia. If that, if that happened, that the world would fall apart. It would, mm-hmm. it would fall apart because y- you have two opposing forces that keep everything in balance. And that's what keeps things going is tug of war that 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 keeps everything mostly in the middle and as soon as you have one side you know give up the, the whole system spins out of control
2: yeah I mean I guess I think I agree with what you're saying I don't know that I would characterize it as like the entire world falling apart um which I don't even know if you literally mean that but like I think that like if you have two factions and one faction completely destroys the other faction, Somehow you're going to have two factions again. You're just gonna, you know, well, there's gonna be some kind of schism. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, even in
1: this hypothetical situation, suppose suppose we have this totalitarian, you know, power grab situation, and uh, the left succeeds in demolishing the right, and we have this progressive utopia. Um, that what would happen is the conservatives and the conservative parts of the liberals' brains, let's say, they, they would just be Subconscious, They would just kind of s- submerge back into the subconscious and they would be pulling the strings from behind the scenes. This is what uh, Jordan Peterson, like in, from a psychological perspective, what they talk about is a neuroses. You end up with ha- you end up with these archetypal forces that are playing out in your life that are causing all kinds of catastrophes for you that you can't figure out yeah. because they're because you're they're not um, they're not on the surface anymore. They're, they're they They've been shoved back into the subconscious where we're pretending that they don't exist, but they're still there and they're just poking their way. They're poking their heads out and fucking shit up and disturbing your, your peace yeah. until y- until you, until you come to terms with it until you
2: bring back that cons- that conservative part of the necessary conservative part of the public. Absolutely. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, I don't know how that, um, plays itself out you know i imagine some kind of like super progressive liberal society where they've just completely dominated and there we are progressive world now like how does that though how does that conservative neuroses like play itself out in real life you know it, w- it would be interesting to
1: see but i would think it would it would come in the way of sabotage like like you can imagine in a utopia like that, uh, we would have a one world government. Mm-hmm. The economy of the world would be, would be a unified economy. We would, we would be focused on levelizing the living conditions of all of the people in the world. So you would be dist- redistributing wealth to, to from, you know, Europe and Asia to um, Africa and South America and, and places like that to try to even things out that, 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 um, good intentioned progressives would would end up sabotaging that effort they would sabotage that effort without realizing it mm-hmm. uh and, and, and you know that 's how it would play it out they they, they wouldn 't be conscious of it it would be it would be a catastrophe and and I do mean a world ending catastrophe I literally do mean that yeah. and and jordan Peterson uh gave a great example when he said he said do you remember him saying um that uh Liberals are necessary, vi- vibrant parts uh, part of our culture. Sure. Um, that they create new things. Liberals are sure. th- are the people that create new things. Conservatives then run those businesses. Yeah. So imagine you have you have you know this this futuristic you know um, Apple world that we live in. Um, this is a, this utopia that we're describing. Um, I'm losing my train of thought. Damn it.
2: I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to rein it back in, but I can't think of Man, I was going for a minute, though, boy. You were on it, man. You were on one. The
1: point point is, you you get this world like that that the liberals have created. You get these creative people bringing all this new, beautiful ideas and possibilities into the world. If there's no conservatives there to make sure it doesn't fall apart, everything will fall apart. Sure. This is what I mean, that they're both necessary. Yeah. And and it's just, you know.
2: I agree with you. Uh, And I think that another thing is... If you have those conservative people there, creating something new is, I don't know, it, it, it kind of, a necessi- necessary part of it is the potential that you're going to bother somebody with this new thing that you create mm. or say or whatever, you yep. know? And I feel like those conservative people, while maybe necessary to, like, run things eventually once it gets to that point, yep. uh, they're also the type, I well, I don't know, no, no that's not true. Liberal people are... are I guess, probably more likely to be offended on some level nowadays. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So never mind.
1: No, but I think that the conservatives are necessary to keep the peace and keep the balance as well. So, you know, you can just imagine if you were in a room full of creative people Mm -hmm. and you were the only normie.
2: Yeah.
1: Imagine that's like being the only sober person at a college keg party. It's fucking miserable but if you don't have that guy saying hey guys you know it's fucking time for bed yeah. cut the your cops hippie
2: going to get called on, yeah.
1: cut, cut your hippie hair and take a nap if, if you don't have somebody like that uh, checking them that it would be a disaster and the same thing would be true if you had a room full of accountants yeah. and that one and the one party animal with the fucking colorful socks if it wasn't for if it wasn't for the colorful <laughs> socks guy with the, you know if it wasn't for the, that guy you know the, we're not having any fun yeah so chris is colorful socks guy by the way uh, chris is colorful <laughs> socks guy that is the truth. That's fucking funny. All right, what That's you get, true, though. What do you got next?
2: Um. So, I, what did you think about that whole Mountain Dew? You know, the they they had a a poll to see like what should we name the new Mountain Dew, and the trolls got a hold of the poll and <laughs> they made the final result. Hitler did nothing wrong. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, wow. isn't that fucking weird? That is weird. Cause that's an awesome, you know, interesting
1: thing that I don't, don't remember like picking up on.
2: Yeah. So uh, they were talking about, um, is that when they were talking about 4chan? This is when they were okay. talking about 4chan. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's where this little prank was organized, was unfortunate. Oh, so, Hitler did nothing wrong. Not, oh Mountain God. Dew had some kind of a, a promotion where they had people on the internet think of, they had a new flavor of Mountain Dew coming out, and they were polling the internet to see what they should name it. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, these trolls found out about it, and they, um, you know, basically rigged the election to where it was, Hitler did nothing wrong. Mm. And now, <laughs> Michael Malice, who is Jewish, by the way, thinks this is hilarious. And it is because they're not, as he says in this episode, they're not literally Nazis. They don't think that the Holocaust didn't happen. But it's like this giant corporate entity that doesn't give a fuck about people. They can, and, and I'm not even saying that they should care about people. They should care about making money. Yeah. But this pretend fun, like, name the new thing so that we can sell you this thing. It's going to give you diabetes and cavities and, yeah. you know. Um, fuck you, basically. Yeah. You know. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's great. And um, and basically, I mean, in the end, Mountain Dew was like the internet one, but you know, they would, yeah. they tried to have a good sense of humor about it. Yeah. But, so um,
1: what was I going to say on that? Damn it! I don't know. Hmm man, I'm having a rough one today. Yeah. I had a rough one yesterday,
2: which is why I'm having had a, a rough good one, today. one. yesterday. I had a good
1: one yesterday. Yeah. It's father's day. So, and, you know, so I'm a dude. Mom and dad. I Happy father's father's day, day, by the way. appreciate that, man.
2: Um, so I'll just say what I had on that. And it, I think that this is a great quote by Michael Malice. He says, and I think that this is something that people who care about liberty, this is an ethos we need to grab a hold of today. Oh. Go ahead. Okay. No, you go ahead. Cause I've just, got, oh, I'll I just, remember.
1: It was just the word liberals that re- that I just popped in my head and it reminded me, um, that oh it's going away again oh um, oh that somebody who would who would be a troll especially like what you were describing with this Mountain Dew example yeah um, I'm picturing the person who thinks that f- that's funny I'm, I'm, in fact I'm picturing a particular person I- I- I from my life uh, my, my my buddy Michael Clyde who used to work right next to me I'm picturing this guy um, he's a liberal he's a young, uh, when I knew him you know when I worked with him he's a young man and you know so he was in his early to mid twenties okay somebody like that who thinks it's who thinks it's funny to um to pi- to pick on a fortune 500 company just because he can just because he has the power to to make that sort of it, of an impact and he's going to yeah. he's going to do it in the most over the top and sarcastic huh? way you know and and I can see mike laughing at this and the point i'm making is that guy is a liberal sure. he's young He's sarcastic. He's good with technology. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of people that I picture doing something like this. That's also the kind of person who, in the in the old days, in the old days, this would be something that wouldn't get picked up in the news. It would just be it would just be funny among the among the in crowd. Yeah. But now it's now it's in the news, and the people who are offended and that are making a that are incapable of seeing it as a joke
2: and as sarcastic are the liberals. I know, is it crazy... I don't... It's the craziest shit. It's the craziest shit. That is weird. That is just turning things on their head, you know? Um, so what I was saying uh, was that, like I said, this is, I think, an idea that in, people who care about liberty, people who care about... You know sidestepping the establishment we'll say well we'll say sidestepping the establishment uh i think this is something that they should take to heart he said an organized goal-seeking minority can have a huge impact against an indifferent majority mm. and that is powerful yes yes absolutely so true so let's get organized that's my point michael malice got me out here inspired and shit. that's it that's what's happening man the
1: the the, the whole world is getting pushed around by a relatively small group of loud mouthed, uh, opinionated people.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and it's and it's also funny because it's bullying. It is absolutely bullying. Yeah. It's fucking bullying. And that's the same thing that the liberals have been up in arms about <laughs> yeah, over crying. the last ten years. Yep. You know, bullying and microaggressions and now now you can bully without even fucking, you know, actually aggressing on somebody now now it could just be a subtle you know and it it's still counts as uh, uh as uh, you know what, what is the word whatever bullying yeah i just think that the hypocrisy today is so blatant and yeah. nobody and everyone
2: just looks the other way yeah we don't even laugh at it anymore we're not even laughing at it anymore yeah i mean fuck i think it's interesting that when i said that organized goal-seeking minority versus the indifferent majority I think it's funny that you saw and you're completely right uh, that you saw it from the side of the people who are in in positions of power now because they are an organized goal-seeking minority versus the public who just doesn't give a fuck Um, and I like where I was thinking about it was from we and that's how he was talking about it here. It's not like I was having original thought here. Michael Malice is talking about a few goal oriented trolls could fuck that entire thing up. You right, know what I right, mean? Right, exactly. And I I just wanna fuck more things up. So that's where I was coming from. Um but I that that's that perspective is completely right. Yeah I mean, the people in power, they're an organized goal seeking minority. Mm. So that's so true.
1: I have to point out something here just because like we're not going to talk about Jordan Peterson enough today, um, that uh, that he describes, you know, the world is being composed of uh, chaos and order, you know, the great mother and the great father yeah. and the great mother and the great father, they both have two sides to them. One is benevolent and one is malevolent. So they have a good side and a bad side and you can't understand either side without understanding the completeness of uh, the, the good side and the bad side. <laughs> yeah. And so the great mother is the creative and destructive force. And, and so That corresponds to the liberal um, side of the political spectrum. The creative people are generally the ones that are liberals. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the the point I'm I'm trying to point out here is that the people who are like that, the creative people, they are also the destructive people by necessity because, again – the creative destructive thing, the great mother—that's one thing. You can't separate them. You've got them both. And if you're a liberal, liberal, you're a creator and a destructor. And I'm not saying that that's only the case for liberals. We're all a mix. We're all a mix. We all have both. Yeah. But the point is, somebody who wants to shake things up or to destroy something, like you just described, for fun because I can. Yeah.
2: That's the same personality. That's also the creative type. Sure. It's the Absolutely. same same thing. Yeah. I would say that I don't – I mean, I completely agree with everything you just said. Just one caveat for me personally is that I would say I don't want to destroy things just for fun. Um, I have reasons, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I do think it's fun. I like. I think – now, when I say destroy things just to, like, not try to land myself in prison too soon, um, I'm not – I'm talking about, like, this Mountain Dew pole. Like, they destroyed this Mountain Dew pole. Because yes. fuck your insincerity, and one thing that he talks about is uh, one thing Michael Malice says here is the things that are presented to you as um, being earnest they're not yes. you know they're playing earnest to you because earnesty sells yes you know uh, so that's what I want to destroy I mean uh, and you know what I don't even expect them to stop doing it because it does sell it works for them, but it doesn't work on me and I don't have hmm. to you know. Yeah. So there you go. That's it. And that so that's interesting, man. And that's that's the thing that makes you a pariah. Like mm-hmm.
1: like that's you're the you're the um, you're the one like uh, black sheep in the middle of the in the middle of the flock. You know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. You you stand out because you're not you're not playing the game, mm-hmm. and you're the only one that notices. That's the thing. Yeah. You know. I have to feel like a like an alien, and I'm the only one that that notices.
2: Yeah. You know. I do think. Uh, I, Again, I think that you're completely right. I think uh, uh, just a caveat. I think there are starting to be more black sheep, though. Yeah. I think that the amount of black sheep is jumping up considerably. So. Yeah, I actually
1: think it has to. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like a, it's like a, a re, you know, like like in the stock market. Yeah. If you have. Um, you know and this always happens you have exuberance on both sides either the market the market starts going up and then people start buying buying and drive it even higher or the market's going down and people start selling and drive it lower yeah. that you end up having an overreaction both ways mm-hmm. uh, and that's and i lost my thread but that's that's the uh, image that came to my mind yeah
2: um well you said that i said that there are more black sheep popping
1: oh up. yes
2: and I, I just to like kind of compliment what you're saying there to go back to what you were saying about how if you know, the world with two factions and one faction won, that neurosis would cause it to come back. Well, yep. I think that's what's happening. Yep. I mean, it's like, um, you yep. um, know, just I, I want to say that, like, evolution is forcing us to have more black sheep pop up, mm. something like that. Yep. I don't You know, that may not be the perfect way to describe it, but I do. It's inevitable. You I, know?
1: Th- I think you're right. I, I think that the force that's pressing back on against the conservatives, that's compressed them down. I'm, I'm imagining that like a spring. So yeah. the the left is just encroaching, 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 and they're pressing down on that spring. Yeah. What eventually, what's going to happen when enough pressure has been put on that spring, it's going to f- to f- to spring forward. That's all those black sheep that you're that are that you're talking yeah. about. They're they're subconscious right now, and at some point they're going to be f- they're going to be flooding, flooding the world. Yeah. Well.
2: Um. I think that there's a a parallel there to kind of how we've gotten to the position we're in now as far as the progressive stuff goes because that's how it happened. I mean, you know, we set this world up uh, to where, you know, the super liberal progressive people went into the universities, and, I mean, they talk about this in this episode, too. Like, at one point, Jordan Peterson asked Michael Malice who the they are that he's talking about. And that's, I mean, that's it. It's like this... uh, the, the term that Jordan Peterson used that I thought was interesting was he called them the chattering literati. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that means, but like I, I think I do know what it means, but I just don't know what the actual words. I know what chattering means. Well, yeah, I just literati.
1: Think, I think it, I think it's like Illuminati. It's like, but oh. but it's talking about the people who write. So oh, the chatter. Okay. The, so those are just the voices that people see because those are the ones being published. Okay, the published I see. voices. The
2: chattering literati. Yeah, okay, exactly. I get it. I see it. Um, I, I, but yeah, I just thought there were a lot. Anytime I listen to Jordan Peterson, especially watching, I don't know how much you've watched him, but he is very any, little. He's so, he's always talking with his hands and, you know, like doing all these things. <laughs> like, it's so entertaining. But, but it's, um,
1: it's funny, that's another thing that's, uh, characteristic of liberals, that being animated when they talk. Oh, that, that's oh, yeah. much, much more common with
2: liberals. I can see with it. With creative types. Um, but I don't even know what I was saying there, but we—I mean—well, I've got one if you're ready. But yeah, yeah, let's um, Jordan, Jordan said something,
1: that in, it, in the context of the uh, of the sentence, it, it was like a throwaway. But I never heard anybody say it, and I was like, "Oh, that's good." This is what he said. He said, he said, internet and social media. He talked about them as a redistribution of power. Fuck yeah! So we talk about a redistribution of wealth when we're when we're talking about you know a progressive economy. And I never heard anybody say that before. That like what's happened with the media is that it used to be the the, the power was con- concentrated in the the few big networks. Yeah. And now it's democratized. So what you have is a, a redistribution of media. Yeah. And that you know that, that that's what that's what social media has done is it's redistributed power and authority. Yeah. From the government Absolutely. to everybody.
2: You know, it's funny that you say that um, because. There's this point in this podcast where Michael Malice is talking about things in terms of power, Mm -hmm. uh, and Jordan Peterson says that's like the classic postmodernist French power theorist thing, and he kind of like like puts a cap on himself, and he's like, "That's not an insult, by the way." Yeah. But if you know anything about Jordan Peterson, it is kind of an insult. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's funny to me that Jordan Peterson can understand that this stuff, podcasts and YouTube and the internet, is shifting power balances mm-hmm. and how that makes a difference, but then thinks that, like, power theory is just completely, and maybe he doesn't think it's completely useless, to be fair. I mean, I don't think that he, he's obviously a complex thinker. He's not a black and white guy. Right. So, you well, know, but I, I think that there's m- more of value in, like, postmodernist theory than, at least, if not Jordan Peterson, then at least Jordan Peterson like fanboys like they're all yeah. postmodernisms for facts, bro. Yeah, no, I mean well, it's pretty interesting. It really, is, so. it
1: is interesting, and you've pointed out something that rings true to me about it, which is that when I when I get concerned about the manipulation of language, meaning, the manipulation of meaning, that in symbols, that that's something that is a postmodern. Uh, you know idea sure. and it's uh, i mean uh, there's absolutely truth in that it resonates with me i, 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 I buy that yeah. but there are there are legitimate critiques of oh, postmodernism 100%. that in my opinion undermine the philosophy sufficiently undermine the philosophy yeah yeah um and the way jordan gets around that is he says he doesn't believe that that the social world is a power game which is what postmodernists say he says it's not about a hierarchy of power; it's about a hierarchy of competence, and that, and that people like your standard liberal who prefers to use the language of power to competence is doing that either on purpose to manipulate you, or subconsciously to manipulate themselves. So when they when they say somebody has power because they're a successful businessman, um, Jordan would say, "No, he's a successful businessman because he's competent because he." learned what he needed to learn, the skills and the knowledge sure. and played the right and made the right steps to get where he is. Sure. And that if I am uh, one of the underlings, if I'm one of the low paid employees looking up at that at that guy and have all, all the reasons to think um, you know to be jealous, let's say sure, that I'm gonna say, oh he, he's manipulating me uh, through power rather than saying, uh, he's simply displaying more competence than me. Because if I say that, then I now have to say, well, I am not competent.
0: Sure. So
1: so it's easier for me to say I don't have power because yeah. what can I do about that? But for me to say I'm not competent, well, there's everything I can do about that. And, and only I can say that. Sure. So I'm much more likely to point the finger at somebody else than to point it at myself. And that's
2: the distinction, I think. I, I, I agree with you, and I think... Uh that that makes sense on an individual level on almost like the vast vast majority of cases of p- of people feeling that way mm-hmm. i do think that there are times and this is kind of how i feel about like philosophy in general like i think that some i mean all philosophies tentatively i'll say all philosophies have some good shit that you when you when applied in the right circumstances very helpful tools to help you thinking about things. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, and then in other scenarios, that breaks down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I I don't know. That that's just kind of how I I see things. That's why I found find value in postmodernism, modernism. Um, yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And it's like like a lot of right wing anarchist types who are influenced by people like Jordan Peterson and people of that that milieu. Yeah. To use a fancy word. Yeah. Um, you, you know they, what? That what they um, they tend to like shit on postmodernism. It's like yes. I don't trust the information disseminated or the stated motives of the people in power. But also, I think postmodernism is gay. It's like <laughs> I mean, I, I it would be helpful to you. You should use the, yeah. the, the postmodern. Oh, thought. Yeah. you know. But you know, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on. I don't. I'm not exactly sure. There's a lot I could say about that. Like, there's things like. Um, Knowing your enemy, like there's value in knowing your enemy. So even if you feel like postmodernism is a uh, is a philosophy that's flawed, mm-hmm. if it's convincing to people, um, you should know it. Yeah, it, it's valuable for you to know it because otherwise, how are you going to argue against Absolutely. it? Absolutely, that's a great point. So that's that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to point out is this. This is something I struggle with. Um, Whenever you have a novel idea, whenever you have a new idea that's interesting, that ca- captivates you, like I, I use the word like resonates with me, it's something that I yeah. feels true and it makes me want to explore it more. If I have something new like that, um, where was I going with this? This is one of those days, man. It is one of those Jesus, days. Jesus, effing Christ. Um, what were we saying just before that?
2: Um... I don't know because oh, oh, my cool. notes are not helping me. They're, <laughs> they're like out of order at this um, point.
1: Yeah, okay. So anyway, what was I getting at there? I was saying, uh, ah, you know what? We'll sort of go back to it. Hopefully, for Christ's sake.
2: Like Chensaki.
1: All right. So we're talking about this redistribution redistribution of power, and I said that was an interesting take. Uh, let's see. What did I, What else do I say? Um, oh, I said why are the liberals for redistribution of wealth but not for redistribution of power? That's a great question. Yeah, they're, they're propping up the old media.
2: That's great. It, isn't it? Yeah.
1: I just like pointing out hypocrisy. It fucking makes me smile. Yeah,
2: dude. You should tweet that one out. Um, so, what else you got here? Are, are these like um, linear?
1: Yeah, these are like chronological as, as the podcast oh, goes well, on. So. so let's
2: see what you got.
1: All right. So malice. He says this. He says um, when you listen to corporate media, they will acknowledge that there's a problem, but when that's when that problem is solved, they start to panic. Yeah. What, what did you think about that?
2: Um. I mean, I think it's... I just think that that's what they're selling, is panic. Exactly. Yeah, so...
1: So, so if COVID goes away, let's say, um, if it... By go away, I mean if it falls out of the media, it falls out of the public consciousness,
2: then what are we going to write about? Yeah, yeah. Now we got to do something hard. Something will say. Yeah.
1: So I thought that was funny um, and true. Yeah. That, 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 you know, that they'll perpetuate that um, as long as it works. Yeah. And... Because, because scaring people gets right to their emotions. It works. Yeah. So they just keep scaring us to death.
2: Yeah. You know? Absolutely.
1: You got one or you want me to keep going? Yeah,
2: you read that one.
1: All right. So this one says, uh, this is also Malice. He says, um, we talk, he's talking about the, the uh, traditional mainstream um, news. He says, they have to wrap it up in 10 seconds. And it's very hard to make a, uh, that point. He's talking about any complex point. He says, this rewards glib people and people with good one-liners. Someone who is inarticulate but has good ideas, that person is going to be dead in the water.
2: Yeah. Um, And, you know, I have an aversion to talking shit about Donald Trump just because people do it so much, but Donald Trump kind of personifies this. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, I I, I don't, like, a lot of people like to say that Donald Trump is dumb. I don't think that he's dumb, but I don't think he's, like, like particularly intellectually smart or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um and he when he went into these debates like if you had Donald Trump and Rand Paul on Joe Rogan show and it was like a three hour oh, slog, Rand Paul would bend Donald Trump over and take him to the woodshed. You would mop, you know him the floor with him. But when it's a debate, Donald Trump can say you're ugly, you know, like <laughs> basically, and then you know that's it. That's- yeah,
1: but you know what? So that's fair, and that and that's true. But do, but the, there are some one-liners on both sides, not oh. not just Donald Trump, but also on the on the on the left side. Uh, there are some one-liners that are true, and sting, and are sure. funny, and and work. And those things work better than than convoluted, you know, long form shit for most people. Yeah. And so if I'm Donald Trump, uh, trying to get most people to vote for me, that's you know that's how I'm going to
2: try. Sure. Um, I think that one-liners that work and are not necessarily—I mean, like a lot of Donald Trump's one-liners were just like shit talking. You know, it's like he's up there doing a stand-up routine, like he's doing crowd work. You know, sure. Um, But uh, like one-liners that have truth to them and work, I think are not as common. You know, but one I can think of off the top of my head. Was when Tulsi Gabbard just wrecked Kamala Harris's, although Kamala ended up being vice president anyways. But, yeah. Um, you know, just wrecked her campaign. Do you remember that? What did she say? Do you remember? So Kamala had said something and Tulsi responded and basically just laid out the fact that she was like a, a super aggressive prosecuting attorney and like she's basically a cop. She's like a Republican. You mm-hmm. know, like Joe Biden wrote this, uh, that 94 crime bill that's like. Got super harsh punishments and like not what you would expect from 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 a
0: liberal kind
2: Democrats, person, yeah. you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and Kamala's the exact same way. They're cops. They're they're not what they're being advertised as. No, so that's for sure. Um, one thing I wanted to go back to was ta- when they were talking about the irreverence of 4chan and the, these like online things, and it's like we were just talking about Trump. I do feel like Trump was kind of the personification of that. Yeah. You know, they say as much in here. Sure. Um, and one of the things that they use as a weapon against Trump and against right-wing thinkers in general, um, and it, it's actually, I think, more destructive when they use it against thoughtful people, because Trump, I mean, he's out there, he's talking shit, so whatever. But when you silence people who are actually saying important things by with, with this sort of tactic. And the, the tactic is... Th- it's like they criticize him for saying mean things. And, mm. like, they say that... Uh, what's <laughs> the exact word that I wrote down here? Um, irreverence. Uh, oh, they use this idea of respect and decorum and decency... Yeah. ...to, like, silence important things, you know? Yes. Uh, and this is this tactic that... the the media uses, like, all the time. It's, like, their go-to thing, you know? He's being mean.
1: Um it's so manipulative, it's man. It's
2: fucking ridiculous, man. It's, like, are you five years old? <laughs> I, I mean, there's this idea in, on, like, Liberty Twitter and the Liberty movement that, like, there are a lot of libertarians who are very far left, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, they're basically that surprises socialist. me, but keep going. Yeah, there's lots of them. Um, and... Like, they'll get upset about memes and stuff like that. And just of, you know, the line of thought that I am, if you're upset by a meme, you don't have the stomach for what's coming. Mm. You know, like, you Oh yeah. You know, this is not for you. You should, you should do something. You should play chess. You should, it's, you know, mm. if you're upset by a meme that says, I don't know, something like not so nice about trans people, you know, if you're, if you're upset by a meme, you're not prepared for life. Yeah, exactly. For Christ's sake! So that's just what I think about that. Uh, but I just wanted to to highlight that that decorum and decency and politeness that it's garbage and like this idea that people need to be restrained by that it's stupid. Um, I don't know. That's that's yeah. I, is I, it good to be nice to people? Yeah, sure. But. Um, just because somebody's not being nice doesn't mean that everything they're saying is completely worthless.
1: No, I agree, and and you know when we're talking about a leader, um, yeah. you know I think if you polled the world and said how how important is niceness as a quality to your leader, yeah. um, it, it it cannot possibly be
2: in the top in the you know in the top uh, <laughs> top top three anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. From what I understand, Putin is actually pretty popular over in Russia. Mm. Like, he's got a high approval rating amongst the people. Interesting. And he doesn't seem nice. He no. He doesn't seem like yeah, a nice exactly. guy. Exactly. Yeah. Do you, wanna, do you want a competent leader or do you want a nice leader if you yeah. had to choose? You know what I mean? Come on, guys. Yep. Um, so, uh, just one funny thing. Did you notice uh, Michael Malice made a few jokes over the course of this? And one of them, I forget what exactly... Um, who Jordan Peterson was talking about? He was talking about two groups of people, and he was like, "It's pretty difficult to put them in the same camp." And Michael Malice said, "Well, hopefully, we will be putting them in the same camp." <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I didn't hear that. Oh man, so that was a good one. Got to got to highlight the classic Ma- Michael Malice humor.
1: So um, good. I've got one. Just yeah, an, an, just an extension on this thing about the, about the uh, criticism that he's talking about the mainstream media. He only, you know, only gives you ten seconds to make an argument. So the people that have good one-liners are the ones that that shine. Mm-hmm. And you know, w- when he's talking about that, you know, he, in the context, he's like, well, that's a super, super bad disadvantage for all of these. People have great ideas, complicated, sophisticated ideas who can't compress them down into a soundbite, yeah. um, because those those people don't they don't have a they don't have an, a you know a platform, right? But yep. um, then he goes on to say, he's talking about the media here. He says they are not interested in learning; they are interested in training their audiences what to think and believe. Yeah. And, and if you watch, uh, you know, MSNBC and or Fox News, if you watch that. That's exactly what's happening. It's it, that's that it's that echo chamber that you know people complain about, uh, but that's what they're doing. So what what Rachel Maddow is doing is convincing the people that listen to her, um, you know, it, that what the right way to think is and what the right things to think are. Yeah. Um, it's it, you know it, I don't know what your thoughts might be on that, but he you know he was just explaining how the how the mainstream media is structured that not only. Um, is designed to basically manipulate the audience to keep them coming back, like yeah. like he got them addicted to Marlboros, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, with Or, no, with Joe Camel with the cartoons, remember? Yeah, absolutely. um absolutely. You know, so, uh, I don't know, man.
2: Um, well, I do think that... Um, excuse me. I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I think that... Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about that, to be honest well, with
1: you. Well, we're talking about manipulation, and I wonder how you feel about... Or do you think it's, well, I mean, I mean, advertisement, I mean, it's manipulation.
2: 100%. Yeah. And
1: we, and we like it and we encourage it. And the people who do it well, we pay them a lot of money yeah. to manipulate us.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but we like it. We like respond to it. What is that, man? Because I, 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 recoil from it when we're talking about the, the, the news manipulating people so that they can get you to come back, um, you know, and so they can keep making ad revenue. Yeah. So that that's disgusting to me that I'm being manipulated, but
2: but at the same time I'm like you know, eyes glued to the New Snickers commercial. Absolutely. Well, I don't know. I don't my eyes are not necessarily necessarily glued to the New Snickers commercial. I fucking abhor commercials. Um mm. so that but I it just depends on where you draw the line on advertising, because advertising are these stupid fucking commercials that play between the stuff that you really want to watch. Yep. But advertising is also, on some level, propaganda. It is. I mean, so you got propaganda all over the place. Are you accepting – if you look at the corporate media as state-sponsored advertising, like they're advertising these ideas yeah. – um, it's it's just weird. You know. It's just weird under what circumstances we're okay with being manipulated, and yeah. un- under what circumstances we're not. And I'm just trying to make sense of that. Yeah, that's true. And well, I mean, to be fair, just because I don't get wrapped up in the Snickers commercials doesn't mean that there isn't a country full of fucking people who do. Listen, man. Every now and then,
1: there's a great commercial. The reason sure. re- the reason I say Snickers is because. That's the I, that's the example that pops in my head. Happy peanut soul. Yeah, you remember that one? No, not really. Over chocolate covered mountains. Oh yes, yeah, in I Waterfalls do that. of candy. Yeah, that's an old commercial. Yeah, it's an old commercial, but it it just popped in my head because I fucking laughed out loud when I saw it. Literally, I was like, this was a well done commercial.
2: Yeah, you remember like I don't know, fifteen years ago or something when that this like um, what's the word I'm looking for like absurdist kind of commercial like the remember the. Uh, the old spice commercial oh, yeah. on a horse, yes, you know, like yes, yes. just nonsense. Yep. Uh, and not like anytime I see one of those commercials now, it's just like my eyes roll so hard yeah. into the back of my head that they're like, I'm looking at my brain. Yeah. But the first time you saw that, that was, it was funny. It was funny, man.
1: Yeah. The point is that we do, there, there is a sense that we do like them. So I don't know what that is. But
2: uh, it it becomes really nefarious, though. And this is something that Michael Malice says in the podcast when they're advertising, when they're not advertising things that give you cavities or, you know, stupid, pointless things that you don't need when they're advertising for things like war um, and all the other kinds of atrocities that are committed in the name of like legitimacy and all of this stuff. then you know, that's a little bit different. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty fucked up I don't know yeah it's weird man so it's a gray area yeah um, what you got what's next um, so I mean in this I, we're like totally out of order here which is fine uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm just trying to like not like leave anything behind but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so at one point they're talking about uh, conservatism and it being reactionary and We've talked about this before, how conservatism doesn't conserve anything. It's just um, like maybe, maybe slowing things down a Mm. little bit, but um, not really conserving anything, not ever really changing anything. Uh, And he talks about how the magazine that William William F. Buckley? F. Buckley, yeah. Yeah, uh, that he was the editor of the National Review is standing athwart history yelling stop. Uh, And... That an idea that characterizes the new right is, let's stop just like yelling. Let's like actually try to do something. Yes. So that's something that I think like really like sets the new right apart Mm. from the old right as well. I love that because the old right is just happy to, to like you know. Like the stuff that Republicans are arguing for now is the stuff that Democrats were arguing for 10, 15 years mm-hmm. ago. So mm-hmm. they're though John McCain's happy to do that as long as he gets to go bomb the fuck out of wherever that he wants to go, you yeah. know? Yeah.
1: So, so yeah, they're happy to do that as long as they can get reelected. Yeah, you know? exactly.
2: So yeah, that's, uh, that's another like di- characteristic difference between the new and old right. It's, so I thought that was worth mentioning. It's super refreshing, but I just don't know. How it's
1: possible? Like I'm, I'm picturing, like European Parliament, where the guys are like yelling, violently yelling at each other from across the aisle, and that's yeah. that's literally happening, and, and you know people actually really like watching it. <laughs> um, like if, if if that that's how a conversation would break down today between people on different sides of an argument, yeah. Uh, even even at the highest level, even in Congress. It would it would get, it would um, deteriorate to ad hominem arguments and name calling and you know no, nothing would get
2: done. Um, so I guess I, you're I, I think that you're right. I think that operating inside of politics that's uh, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get more politics. Yeah. So that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Um, and they talk about this a little bit in the, this podcast, my, I, my mind goes more to something like, like Michael Malice said, a national divorce, um, Mm. where you break things down, you decentralize things. Um, Mm. and you kind of let people, yeah, I mean, people might, you, you might need to move. You might want to move to a different area, you know, uh, but that's better for you in the long run, Mm. you know? Yeah. So, uh, I think it would be something like that. I don't think it's going to be po- po- like policy based or mm. politics based. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, that was that. I, I do think it was funny that uh, T shirt that Jordan Peterson said he saw the guy that had a shirt that said Trump 2020 because fuck you twice. It's yeah. <laughs> <That's laughs> hilarious, man. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, I. I you don't like Trump. Like, I mean, it's like his policies. He might say some stuff that is not terrible, but he says some stuff that's fucking awful. Like that's atrocious. Yeah, you're right. That being said, I don't hate Trump because fuck you twice. (laughs) Because Fuck you twice. I love that. So yeah, I thought that was pretty great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have anything else that needs to be mentioned right now so if you want to read some of the stuff you got there yeah there was something that Malice
1: said about when you, when you examine people arguing online okay he said it's not like people from the left and the right on different ends of the spectrum are doing most of the fighting he's like the weird thing is the people that do the most fighting are the ones that are just one degree separated he's like if I if I'm a, a super progressive lefty I'm arguing with the socialist I'm not arguing with the conservative yeah and if i'm a if I'm a conservative maybe I'm arguing with a libertarian or something yeah so it's like I'm, I'm I'm gonna argue with somebody who I've got most stuff in common with and we're gonna we're gonna differ on just something small yeah like you can imagine the types of shit that the types of shit that fractured the church like yeah, yeah. like when when one when when one religion thinks that you can't be baptized um without submerging yourself in water and another group thinks it's okay to sprinkle water on my forehead and then we're different we're different different churches because (laughs) of it. exactly like we're gonna have a crusade because of it so he's talking about that which i i thought was really interesting
2: that is interesting and
1: and it 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 illustrates the point you made earlier that we're not having um a national conversation we're only talking to each other like in two separate rooms it's like we're we're at old fashioned muslim prayer and the women and the men are in different in different rooms they, you know the conservatives and liberals are in different rooms uh having arguments among themselves um and so anyway he, he says uh this is something jordan peterson says he says fragmentation can be dangerous and then he says diversity is fragmentation but with enough fragmentation you get nothing but endless conflict as people try to work out how to cooperate um and then i was Con- comparing that statement to ma- what Malice was saying, that most of the uh, most of the fighting that's done between people online is infighting uh, uh, amongst people who mostly agree. So we're talking about this idea of diversity um, as fragmentation. What do you think of that? Um, I think that that's true on some level. So um. let's let, let's spell that out because this is the politically incorrect part. And if it's not obvious, I'll just spell it out. That when he says fragmentation can be dangerous. We know, we know what that means. That means that, you know, uh, united we stand, divided we fall. It's that sort of mentality that uh, if, if there's too many fissures and, and reasons to separate and make distinctions in, in a, a group of people, there's just reasons to argue, reasons to consider you they and, and you know, the other. Just reasons to think about us not, you know, as, as different and, and to have conflict. So, yeah, fragmentation can be dangerous. And then he says diversity is fragmentation. And this is something that we're encouraging. Obviously, this is you know I'm not saying that that's bad. Um, you know, I think that it's becoming bad. But the the idea of diversity, especially in this melting pot of a country that we live in, the idea that that is fragmentation, that what you've got is a bunch of different micro cultures that are that are a coexisting, and that that can be dangerous. Yeah, um,
2: that is interesting.
1: Well, it's 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 hard for me not to imagine anybody hearing this not saying, Oh, that's a super racist thing to say. Like diversity is bad. Like that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, he, he's saying that it can be dangerous. Sure. And so there is an ever present danger that we have to deal with in our culture because we choose, because we choose to live the way we do with this as much diversity as we can foster. Yeah. You know?
2: Um, I mean what the, it's just like the danger of that is just endless conflict. Well, the, and the, well, the, I, yeah, that's what he says, but,
1: but the idea that Malice is saying that people, are, people who are mostly similar are doing most of the fighting, and then we're talking about having this great country filled with diverse people that are very different in terms of our languages and cultures and religions and values and all this stuff, let's say, uh, all mixed together, you know, just picture New York City, that those people should, should they, according to Michael Malice, should they be the one arguing with each other? because if you look on the internet the ones that are arguing are the ones that are mostly alike. Yeah. Not like, you know, a bunch of immigrants that are couldn't be more different. Yeah, like that's it, true. That's interesting. According to malice, they shouldn't be fighting. Yeah. You know? So it makes me wonder if the tension that the media is throwing in our faces all the time is is this is just this echo chamber. It's just a the, a bunch of people who mostly agree uh, you know, hi- highlighting things among each other that they that they mutually agree upon and you know what i'm saying yeah. and like in in the real world where people really are different that that conflict isn't happening i don't see it i don't experience it and you know whatever man i i, I live in a suburb you I'm know with you yeah i mean maybe i maybe i maybe i'm out of touch and don't understand but it just doesn't seem that way to me
2: Yeah, here's what I'll say. I, you know, I experience my life. I can't tell you what's going on wherever the fuck that you say there are terrible things. And I'm sure there are terrible things going on. Um, But overall, I see white people as bending over fucking backwards Mm. to not be seen as racist. Absolutely. So... I don't know. That's my experience. That's like I said, that's all I can offer you, but that's also all I can base my thought on. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you on that one. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know what else you got.
1: Well, Michael Malice had a quote in there where he said there there's no reason to have a president that you don't want. Yeah. And I think he was saying it satirically and when, because of obviously the stuff in the news about, um, uh, the election fraud and the, the audits that are going on and all this stuff. That that maybe the commentary there is that in today's day and age, um, you know, again, there's no reason to have a president you don't want. That there's that there's some uh, group that, or or I don't know how to define that, but that it's possible to not have a legitimate uh, election anymore, and that. You know, whoever sets the agenda can just pick the president, and it doesn't matter what the people, how the people vote. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's what he was saying or not, but it seemed that way. I
2: don't think that's what he was saying. I think he was kind of referencing, in a tongue and cheek kind of way. To be fair, um, like the idea that I was talking about about like decentralization, fragmentation. It's like. Oh. You have a you have a, a way of thinking, and this is this is just this guy who's supposed to be like the leader of thought for your way of thinking. Well, go follow him. You don't have to like. Mm. I mean, you don't have to like pledge your allegiance to Joe Biden. I sure as fuck don't. I can't fucking stand Joe Biden. I you know, um, I don't feel. And I mean granted we still live in like this state system so I, I guess I have so, I, you know some kind of ostensible allegiance to Joe Biden somehow but I don't you know I don't in reality I don't give a fuck about Joe Biden. Yeah. So So are you, are you are you basically saying like a it kind of
1: sounds like a like a states rights argument like if um, if we went back to the intention of the founding fathers which was to have a, a small and loose and loosely Like a federal government that's small and loosely connects the states. It connects the states by, like, the uh, mutual obligation of protection and
2: trade. I think that that would be better than what we have now. Right, because what it does is it makes the governor the president. The president of the United States. Ron DeSantis, the president of Florida. Of Florida, exactly,
1: exactly, exactly. And that's the way it, it was intended. It was always supposed to be that way. And the only reason there's a federal government, like I said, is to just maintain the the loose connections between, <laughs> between the independent states that, that allows us to call yeah. ourselves a union. Sure. you know.
2: Like I said, I think that that would be better. You know, 50 independent states with some kind of very weak federal government mm-hmm. that ties them together would be better than what we have now. Agreed. I don't know that even that weak – Thing. Like, think about the European Union, which I do not see as a good uh, institution. I, I, you know, I think it's fucked up. I understand why the people in Brexit wanted to leave, Mm -hmm. even though it, like, defied expectations. Right. So, yeah, I mean, no, like, I don't think. Fuck you, You California. You don't have... I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, I don't want you to have any kind of input over. Mm. Except for in, like, trade. Like, like you say you need this much money for your California oranges. Well, here you go. Send them over. Keep your bullshit ideas to yourself, though.
1: Yep. So... Uh, I think Brexit, you brought it up. I think Mm -hmm. that's one of our black sheep we were referring to. Oh,
2: for sure. I think it's one of our black sheep. Like that, it was like... Brexit, Trump, bang, bang. Like, yeah. those things happened, and yeah. it was like, whoa. Yep. You know, it was like – those were kind of the things that made people realize that this idea we've been sold that the entire world is moving in this progressive direction and nobody disagrees, that's not true. Yeah. So the, those things were huge for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I just got to say this at this point, that
1: that uniformity is not – I don't want to say it's not valuable. But what I, what I want to say is that it's super dangerous. If ev- if if everybody was convinced to be of one mind and 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 everyone has the same values, if we got to this utopia that many people seem to think we can work towards, um,
2: I lost it again. Son of a bitch. God. Well, I think that you said that there is not value. What did you say? You said it's not that there's not value in uniformity. Yes. Um and I guess oh, I so agree there's with that. There is danger in it. Yeah, okay. There is danger. You said there's yeah, not. Oh, that's there's what value was. but the, not that there's not danger. Okay, yes, you so remember? That, yeah, I
1: picked it up. So the and the idea is that the is that the environment is always changing. The social environment, the the economy, the you know, uh, ecosystem, like the circumstances are constantly changing, they're evolving, they're in motion. The reason that um you know, evolution works. the The reason that there's still life existing on on Earth after all the changes that the Earth has been through over the last you know so many billion years, um, the the reason is because there's diversity. It's because there's random mutation. the the, the, re, the reason is that when when circumstances change, there needs to be things that just happen to be better equipped to continue. Yeah. Um, so if you if you succeeded politically in aligning everybody to, into uniformity, if that was possible. And things change if the circumstances change, whatever that might might be. You know, the aliens finally arrive. I don't know. Whatever yeah. whatever the circumstances might be, um, we're no longer. There's no other creatures that are, that are differently capable of surviving. And I'm I'm picturing like I'm picturing like the vis- like the, the Goths and the Visigoths, um, like these barbarians that like seem to erupt from the heart of this vast secure Roman Empire. They just It's just like a cancer that that <laughs> erupted out of nowhere, and next thing you know, they're marching on Rome, and they've destroyed the greatest empire that lasted a thousand years, yeah. that spread across the whole world. Um, I don't know. That's the image that comes in my
2: head. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love that image. Good old, good old German people. <laughs> um, so what else do we got here? Um, so I've got in my notes the national divorce, which we've already talked. Okay, so... Uh, They talk about – and this kind of talks to – goes back to what you were talking about. Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about you're either going to have unity or you're going to have conflict. And this is one of the parts where Michael Malice disagreed with Jordan Peterson. And I like when people – like. Passionately and with a good argument, disagree with Jordan Peterson. Oh yeah, you know yeah. Because uh, you don't see it very often. Like a lot of times, someone uh, disagrees with Jordan Peterson, and he just eviscerates. Yes, it, you yes. know. So I thought this was pretty interesting. And Michael Malice said that he thinks that unity, in the terms of politics, always means oppression. That there is nothing else that it possibly can mean. Mm. And I mean, I pre and. and
1: because it means that one has conquered many. If, if there's only one left, it means that one has conquered many. Yeah. That's why there's conflict implicit in that idea.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, he says that, like, um, you know, it, the very idea of it implicates that you're going to be forcing people to do things that they don't want. Otherwise, they would be doing them anyways. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. So, um yeah I thought, I thought that that was interesting that uh, and that is where that that issue of that we already talked about so we don't need to hash it out again but that postmodernist thing yeah you know, that's where Jordan Peterson was like, you know it's not an insult even though it, like I really don't think that Jordan Peterson was insulting him but I don't think that Jordan Peterson thinks highly of that line of thought
1: he doesn't i I, I would agree though that uh, I don't think that Jordan Peterson doesn't think there's any merit in it sure. so so, may, so maybe you know whatever he was yeah. uh, implying there has to do with whatever that is. Sure.
2: <clears throat> um, So that was pretty interesting. Uh, the, 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 then they start, started talking about the kids playing games. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, yep. And I thought this was interesting, too, when Michael Malice was like, uh, he hit him with the, you kind of dropped the mask a little bit there. Because oh. in this scenario, you're like talking about people as if they're children, people that you have some kind of power and authority over. They yeah. just listen to you for some reason. <laughs> I do um, remember that. Yep. So that was interesting. I mean but, again, you, but you saw but you saw how he countered that. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He
1: was talking about Piaget, who was a child developmental psychologist. That's yeah. why he was talking about children. So that was one instance where Michael Malice thought it was a gotcha, but it was not a gotcha.
2: Um uh, Yeah, I I still do think it was uh it was an interesting The way that he that forced Peterson to unfold that, I think um, that was interesting Mm. because I don't know that he would have gone. I mean, maybe he would have, but uh, I don't know that he would have like fleshed it out as much as if he hadn't. You know, so that was uh, that was good. Yeah. Um, But I mean, what did you think about that game stuff? You know, like. Um, Well, hold on, I don't know if I'm quite
1: there. Let me see. uh, unity through politics always means oppression. So I, I think. Th- so I'm a little bit behind you. So get and here's Piaget right here. Okay, yeah. So let me ba- let me back up. Yep. I got a piece I want to talk about has has to do with borders. So uh, I have to paraphrase this, but Jordan Peterson's talking about conservatives and their personality traits. So he does like, you know, personality tests. So he knows the kind of traits that are associated with different types of personalities, and he says, um, uh, so he's talking about uh, conservatives' personality traits and that they value or um the the value that they see in borders and he said the borders between nations the borders between ideas um and that got me thinking about like like the transgender idea like even that is a um you know it's a disruptive idea to a paradigm um so that that conservatives see a value in in those keeping those borders there um he says uh, that in that the conservatives believe that um, a border is something if it's dissolved that the thing is destroyed so the border is protecting whatever it is that you know that's there yeah. so the idea of like um gender the idea of all of the function that we've created with our language and our culture distinguishing between males and females that that is that all of that is at risk because of this idea of Transgenderism, or whatever you want to call it, sure. that you know, it, and we can already see it. It's disrupting our language, and and you know shit that that's one hell of a boat to rock. Yeah, our our language, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, and, and our our public health and our public bathrooms, and it, there's all sorts of other of other things. So the the idea here is that conservatives are trying to protect something that they see as valuable. In this case, the idea of um, uh, male and female, that dichotomy, and everything that we've built on that dichotomy. And then he, he goes on to say, are open borders good? Well, it turns out uh, that actually uh, facilitates the transmission of disease. So this is Jordan Peterson saying, are open borders good, expecting Michael Malice to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then he says, what well, turns out, that, you know, open borders is the biggest um, criteria for, like, the rapid transmission of terrible disease like COVID. Um so he says S- sometimes the conservative view, like like the benefits of free trade, and the liberal view, like protecting your people from COVID, um, that they're correct in different ways. Yeah. So what do you think about this idea?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of strikes me as what we were talking about before with reading philosophy and like, well, this part of it makes sense and that part of it doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: I don't remember how Michael responded to that, actually. I don't either off no. the top of my head. You know, we've already hit that. Um, oh, yeah. So I guess we can get to the games because here it is. Yeah. So get back to the games. So when they were talking about games, um, and Jordan Peterson was, was bringing up John Piaget, um, and he, he was saying that, I can't remember what the context was. Um, I think he was talking about, like, uh, like getting kids to play games and, uh, the, you know, like, w- what happens when kids don't – don't adapt properly and they're not, they don't play well with others and all what all that stuff means. Um, and I was talking about, do you want to, do you want to play a game like a power game and dominate the person you're playing against and it not be any fun for them? And they don't want to play any more games with you. Yeah. Or do you want to play a game so that they'll, that you'll be invited to play more games because you like playing games, right? You want do you want to play a different game so that <coughs> the outcome is not that you win, but that you get invited to play more games.
2: You're saying that this is the context that it was in the podcast? This uh, th- podcast? This is a,
1: just as a deeper context about the Piaget stuff. Okay, okay. Uh, but at one point, Michael Malice says, freedom is being able to play any game I want. So that was the quote I pulled out of there. Yeah. I'm just trying to, and I, I shouldn't have taken it out of context because now I can't remember exactly how, how that came up. Um, so, so Jordan must have been saying something about... Um, well, uh,
2: th- this was like as a comparison of society to children, you know what yes. I mean? Yes. So, um, oh,
1: that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So
2: it's not like, I mean, they're not actually talking about Kit. Well, they kind of are, but you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so that, so this is more of a, a malice going, going to a, a personal liberty sort of an argument that he's sure. making within the context of talking about games. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, so Jordan Peterson points out that in order to play, you have to cooperate and compete. Yeah. Um, he says that can necessitate that one player might tyrannize the other to some degree, but this is the price paid for the benefits of the game that the player, that the players value more, um, that it's voluntary and cooperative. So he's talking about games as being voluntary and cooperative and that society is like a big game. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Um, uh, and so then, Michael Malice. This is not a direct quote, but he points out that cooperation, where you where you insert an arbitrary third party, is no longer cooperation. That's where it becomes force and manipulation. So that's him saying, you know, when yeah. the, when you when the government's involved, that's when it becomes uh, involuntary. Yeah.
2: yeah, they were talking about how that Piaget guy. They were talking about how. Kids are more likely to play a voluntary, cooperative game. That's right. Um, and when a game is forced, uh, they, they lose interest more quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, so that ties into that. And I think, um, I, I really don't know what else. Well, that, pr- that was it.
1: Well, the purpose of playing a game is to have fun. And as, yeah. as, soon, as, you're, as soon as you're being forced to do it, the, it's like you're incapable of having fun anymore. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's interesting. That's an interesting uh, comparison.
2: Um, but yeah, I don't know that, that, that's all I
1: had on that. Okay. Well, he says here, Jordan Peterson talking about Piaget, he says Piaget pointed out quite clearly that a cooperative game would outcompete a tyrannical game over time. This is what you you were just saying, because the tyrannical game had to waste resources and enforcement, whereas a cooperative game wouldn't. So the cooperative game would be preferred. Um, and he said, but we don't, but we don't know how to pull that off. He's saying.
2: I don't know. I, I don't know. I See, Jordan Peterson definitely said some things in this that I did not agree with and that didn't make sense to me on some level, some of the things. Yeah. Um, this kind of being one of them, and another one later when he's talking about how... Well, what, what does it make sense
1: about that? He, he's saying that we're... That we're still tr- working out how to play a cooperative game, meaning how to get along together as a as a society. Well,
2: I think that we do. I think that, and that that Michael Malice makes this point that like, and I'll make it between us. This is voluntary. Like mm-hmm. we we don't need a, a third party in here telling us how to do things. Sure. Um, so on some level, we do already know how to have a cooperative. I mean, we do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was I think was Michael Malice's point. Yeah. That like you know he's saying we're still trying to figure it out and i mean i think that there is some truth to that too we are still figuring it out but one thing seem one thing that seems pretty obviously not helping is like like if there's some dude sitting here on this third mic telling us how to talk about things and what we're allowed to talk about Mm, yeah of course that's not helping no so
1: it would be terrible
2: yeah and we wouldn't do this like you're right we would, yeah.
1: we, you're right. It, it, it would take all the fun out of it. Yep. Man, that, just trying to imagine this analogy in in terms of the state. It's actually kind of blowing my mind a little bit right now. So I never really thought about it like that. But having you know the state the state inserted, having a, an arbitrary authority inserted into fed. this that involuntarily. Um,
2: yeah, dude. And and. You know, like I said, they were using this talk about children playing games as, like, an analog for society. Right. just imagine, like, in this society that we live in now, if I have an idea that I think will sell, I can go do that. I can, you know, take a shot and try to make some money. Yeah. But in a planned economy, it's like instead of doing this podcast, they say this in there, instead of having a podcast, why don't you go work in a factory making socks for poor people? Right. That would be of more benefit to society. You making socks for poor people, so right. they just no. F- I mean, I don't think that that's going to work out yeah. long term. You know,
1: it's like if you want the if you want the magic of society, you have to let it be organic. You have to let it be a a natural game of tug of war between a whole bunch of different forces that creates this web that's balanced um, naturally.
2: Yeah,
1: it's like it. It's like it evolves like a like a creature evolves. It's it, It's something that's natural the moment you start manipulating it, it you know the moment you start putting you know arbitrary rules and boundaries and goals the moment you start doing that um, you, you ruin the game
2: yeah
1: um, that is and you don't want to play it anymore and so you don't have the magic of society anymore you have slavery. Jesus it's, Christ man
2: it's fucked up
1: yeah. because you're right because you're right you wouldn't be having fun. It, society is like a game and if you and under those circumstances you wouldn't have a game anymore you have you have slavery yeah it's like you're it's like you're forcing people to go through the motions of playing
2: a game so
1: and that's yeah. terrible
2: so do you see what I mean like uh, again I, I'm not like Jordan Peterson's an idiot but to me it seems like he's missing like the obvious thing that yeah we do know how to cooperate like it's pretty easy to cooperate I feel like Jordan Peterson has these things these ideas that he believes are like Firm truth and may- maybe they are Most of the time but like this one It's like yeah no we do know how to cooperate yeah. Like it, 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 if we don't Have it figured out completely we at least Have a pretty good idea So just lean into that more um, So that that's, what, that's why I disagree It's like I, I agree with him In some sense but I think It's pretty obvious that we do Know how to cooperate so right. that's what I mean yeah. You have more on Piaget? Not really uh, Well let me just take a look here uh, oh, I, I do have this. He says, and this isn't about Piaget, but this is just about the same—the organizing the game. He says it's hard to organize a game among 330 million people. Yeah. And uh, Michael Malice says that's the job of the corporate press, to disseminate the agenda of the elite class. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty much the context with which I see the media. Um, I think that maybe it's a little bit more complicated than that because it obviously can't just be nakedly that. Otherwise, right. you know. Um, you got, but largely, I do think that is the function of the corporate media. Mm. Um, I, I do think that maybe uh, Peterson was a little skeptical of that.
1: Hmm. I'm just trying to, like, I've got this crazy thing happening while you're talking in my brain, which is like a, a bunch of random images that are that are painting this picture of trying to make sense of what you're saying. So it's interesting that I, because I, I've always sort of thought that's how thinking works. You know, I've always thought that, but I never noticed it <laughs> until until i I told you after the mystic experience i got a little bit more creatively minded i got a little bit more self-aware and i start to notice that about myself Mm -hmm. um and uh, anyway i'm just pointing it out because i it's just interesting to me i've got this crazy psychological thing happening where i'm trying to understand what you're saying and it's all images yeah it's weird um sorry Uh, i'm trying to see if this i'm trying to see if this quote is something that can be skipped um, this is Michael Malice. He, he says you make a very cogent point about how persuasion is a lot cheaper than force. So if you can persuade someone to play the game, it's a lot better than, you know, making, making them play the game at gunpoint. He says, I think the comparison to contemporary terms is a lot closer to Brave New World, um, a reference to the Huxley book. And it's through the use of uh, pleasure in the carrot. Uh, because it's a lot cheaper to persuade people uh, that it's in their best interest to, to go along. Um, you're, you're going to give up your freedom, but I'm going to give you safety. And they'll be chomping at the bit for it. So so he's basically saying that um, the way that the government – the, the way that politicians buy our votes, because that's sort of that's, – that's I don't know a better way of putting it, is to dangle a carrot – Uh, It's to it's to always be promising us things and um, that even when that starts to diminish our freedoms, that people will still people will still be chomping at the bit for it because what they're getting for it is safety. Um, You know, they don't have to worry and they don't have to think. Yeah. So I think that's pretty straightforward. Uh, then, and then Malice, he asks Jordan, he says, how do you engage in a polity with people who don't really find liberty of use and would rather have every moment of their lives pretty much decided for them? That, that is an excellent question. How do you engage in a polity? He just means how do, you, how do you live in a political structure with other people when some of those other people don't find any value in liberty? they don't yeah. they don't want to be free it doesn't that that doesn't mean anything to them it's not a it's not a desirable goal
2: yeah that's a, that's a good question it's like how how do you it's like you're not operating in the same almost like you're not operating in the same reality
1: you yeah you know what i mean exactly so what do you do if everybody in the society wants to be a slave they want they want the state to provide everything to them they want to not have to think or act in any in any way that they don't like i don't know what that exactly means but imagine if you were one of one one person in an ocean of those people sure and you want to be free and nobody else
2: values that it just seems like a nightmare well the real problem is when literally no one else wants that when you're the only one when it gets to be like it is now, there's so many fucking people that even if you have, like, one in... Like, let's say one in a hundred, which might might be more than it is, I don't know. But, yeah. like, let's just say that it's... Let's say it's one in a thousand. That's a lot of fucking people when you have 330 million people, you yes, know what I mean? Yes, so, that's something to consider. Um, I, I really don't even know what else I was going to say about that, but that is true. I mean, oh... Y- yeah, it, it's a problem when you're all alone. When it's not, I think this, you know, I, I'm sure it's more complicated, obviously, than just saying the words like I am right now. But I think that there is some kind of solution to be had in that, like, extreme decentralization.
1: I like that idea, man. Um, but like, to, like I said, to me, that idea, you say extreme, and I guess I don't, my mind doesn't go there. But I I see a, like a more of a restoration of a, of a independent 50 states and, sure. and,
2: I think that's a good start.
1: A good start, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll I'll go that far with you, and then i have to be one of those, again, not an early adopter. I'll have to wait a little while before I can jump on the anarchist bandwagon all the way. Sure. All right. What's next? I'm
2: not – I think that that's uh, like a problem with a lot of anarchists, at least on Twitter, is that like – I abhor the system, too, but on some level, you have to learn to operate within it, or you're not going to get anything done ever, unless you're just going to, like, flip the table over, which, I mean, I'm open to that idea, too, but, uh, you know, I just don't, uh, I don't know how well that's going to work out, mm. you know? So, I don't
1: either. Also, yeah. also, anybody who wants to flip the table over, my my uh, instinct is the balls, huh. the balls on that person. Yeah. Just going to flip the table over and start oh, fuck over. It,
2: man. God. You know. Um, one, I do think it's interesting that. So, I, I love it when I have a thought on my own. And, you know, I, I don't know how much original thought anybody actually has, but I'll have a thought that I think comes to my head on its own. You know, like mm-hmm. I thought this thing. Yep. And then to hear somebody else say it that I have respect for say that exact thing yeah. makes me feel good. Uh, Does and, it make
1: you feel also a little sad?
2: Sat? Um, like like it's not... No.
1: like to, f- to find out that it's not a new idea?
2: No, no. Okay. Uh, not really. <laughs> All right. Um, because especially with this one, I mean, it's not like a revolutionary idea or anything, but it's just like a thought that I have had definitely in the past. And it's when Michael Malice said that um, a lot of people like to compare things that are going on now to 1984, but the better analog is Brave New World. Yes. I think that that is extremely true.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so so paint the so paint the distinction then for people who haven't read those books, paint the distinction between the the crazy future world that that nineteen eighty four gives us and the crazy future world that brave new world gives us.
2: So when I think of nineteen eighty four I think of some bleak dystopian you know like everything's brutalist architecture giant like tenement buildings and you're just being watched and monitored all the time and nothing works and you know you get rations for food and your thought like literally your thought is regulated. Yes. Okay. So that's what I think about. It's, with
1: it's, it's nothing but rules and regulations all, and bureaucracy day, and, every
2: day. Yep. And like like the stuff you hear about in North Korea too, where like you're encouraged to rat on your your family and your neighbors, and everybody's ratting yes. on everyone all the time. Uh, so that's what um, 1984 is like. When I think of Brave New World, I think of like honestly, what I think of if I was going to make brave new world into a movie today or a a Netflix series today, I would set it in the distant future. And I I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it was set in the distant future, but like I would set it in the distant future from like a, an idea of what the future looks like today. Uh, And a lot of people see that as like luxury and everything's going to be easy and you know, and that in itself is its own kind of tyranny. When you Mm -hmm. are so placated that you don't even have the desire to be free. And that mm. that goes back to that yes. whole, you know, uh, that's Does, exactly what he was talking that's about. That's great, man. So, so I, w-
1: I want to paint the Brave New World picture a little bit more k- detailed mm-hmm. just for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Because in, in Brave New World, stuff like this is going down. Um, the, you might say, mainstream population lives in these, they, they live in... They live in like a, you can imagine like a super futuristic um, uh, society that where everything's clean and, uh, and um, people are happy and they're allowed to do whatever they want. And um, uh, it, this is the thing that, that gets weird is that if people feel anxiety or any kind of negative emotions, there's a drug called Soma that they take and it makes them feel better. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what's going wrong with you. You take the soma, and, it, and all of those psychological anxieties and tensions and, and depression—all that stuff just goes away. <laughs> um, there, there are these things called feelies. It's like a movie that you go to, and you can feel—you can feel what, what's happening in the movie, just like, just like you can see what's happening in the movie. Um, uh, there, are, there is no marriage, so people can just uh, have sex with whoever they want. And they're actually required to. So yeah. if you so if you ask for it, that you, that you're required to. It's like your social obligation, your duty. So this is the world uh, that 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 they've created, and then everybody else who doesn't agree with that, they live on reservations, like like you can imagine Native Americans in the 1800s. They're, they live on reservations, and they people from the world will go down to the reservations, like. Um, on vacation to see how the savages live yeah. and they live just like we do they live regular regular lives where they're where they deal with real problems and re- and you know uh, have real obstacles to overcome and they don't have soma to get over their their anxieties and depressions and um, and the idea is that the, that that the government that, that the government keeps all of these people uh, perfectly happy by controlling their um, their experience, their experience is always positive, and if it's not, they can just drown in drugs. Yep. Um, and so, you have to imagine that a that a government that takes away that takes away all of your problems, whether that be your rent, whether that be your you know uh, pre existing condition, whatever it is, the government comes in and takes away all your problems one by one by one, and you become. Something that at some point doesn't live anymore, it doesn't matter anymore, yep. and, uh, and and the people on those reservations in Brave New World, um, you know, they, I, I don't want to beat the dead, I don't want to beat the dead horse, but the idea is, uh, it's just as effective to dangle a carrot to turn people into, you know, cogs in a machine as it is to uh, you know use a whip like they did in nineteen eighty four.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of those people, those types of people, um, you know, the people who are around today who you could easily see being plugged into that brave new world, you know? Oh, yeah. The people who just, like, consume and just don't really think critically, you know? um, You see those people and you just wonder, I, I don't know, is it possible to... To like wake them up is that a possible thing? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, that's a good know. question. I don't even know what we're talking about at this point. <laughs> Sam Harris does. He wrote a book called "Waking Up," didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, the the idea of uh, consciousness or enlightenment, the idea of opening up your eyes and seeing the world the way it really is, um, you know, I, I, you know, I think that's super important. But it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with this Michael Ma- Michael Malice podcast. So sure. let's. Uh, did you did you hear the thing that malice said about um, those what would Jesus do bracelets that were wildly popular in the 90s I did. yeah and I didn't know I didn't know this so I'm, I'm gonna speak directly to your mom and this this, <laughs> this at this point and say all of those like conservative Christian uh, mothers and and uh, uh, those people that perpetuated that what would Jesus do bracelets so that they're Kids would, you know, wouldn't would wait to, to would wait to have sex till they were married, and wouldn't do drugs and all the stuff. Every time we had a every time we had an ethical conflict, we'd look at our bracelet and say, "What would Jesus do?" And all the good-natured, you know, conservative Christian mothers that encouraged their their kids to wear those bracelets. Um, just so you know. When, he, when The guy that made those bracelets, the guy that made that slogan, when he said, what would Jesus do? He was not referring to anything that you think he was referring to. Mm-hmm. He was referring to the, the, the types of things that these socialist Christians will bring up that say, you should be communist because Jesus was. Yeah. Because Jesus said, sell all your possessions and, and to the poor and follow me. That that's what he wanted people to do. And the guy that had invented the bracelet, that's what he was referring to when he said, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do is to give everything you own to the poor and, uh, you Stop know. Stop being
2: such a capitalist pig.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I thought, I, you know, it doesn't mean anything. I just thought it was interesting. It is
2: interesting. I You know, that was, uh, Michael Malice is full of that good uh, info. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, one thing that happened right around that time is Michael Malice was talking about that story from The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, yeah. Or, you remember that? Yeah. And I do think that that is a, an apt comparison to how... Well, tell
1: the story. Tell the story.
2: So, he he's, he talked to... I mean, it's been a long time, time since I've seen The Devil Wars Prada, so I'm kind of just reciting this to you, how he recited it. Yeah, yeah. It. And uh, some just Normie was talking to some person who was highly involved. She was like the secretary for like one of these heads of these fashion houses, you You know, know? this person who's steeped in fashion culture. Okay. So she meets this Normie and she says something to the effect of like, you're wearing that, that blue jacket because Mm -hmm. you know, like five years ago, you know, in Paris, whatever we decided, And then it's like trickled down, Mm -hmm. you know, now, and that is what Michael Malice has compared to like how the elites kind of do things with like culture it's like they they trickle mm. with their values and the things that the, the messages they want push forward down to us that way interesting so so the
1: so the, the analogy is basically that the average average everyday person who can who can afford let's say a Marshall's blouse mm-hmm. he went to Marshall's he got it on sale 50% off right you got this blouse and it's a certain fashion and you, and you, and you spotted it, and you liked it, and you thought, "This is this is this is me. This is so me. I'm buying yeah. this blouse today." Um, and that the stuff you don't realize is that what you just said—that there was some, again, some elite uh, group of you know fashion designers who basically set the agenda of what's going to be fashionable. Yeah. Made that decision years before, from a, from a, from you know from a different perspective, that was going to trickle down to you five years from now, and I and so the idea is that this elite person plan who had this idea planned it, um, that 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 trickles down to you in a way that seems organic. It mm-hmm. seems like it was your choice. This is a, oh this is this blouse is, is so me, but but in reality it was it was determined. You know, years ago, by somebody yeah. who knows nothing about you, yeah. and that's that's the analogy to the entire culture. Yeah, that's crazy.
2: It seems innocuous when you think about it in terms of a blouse. It doesn't seem as innocuous when you think about it in terms of like wow we operate, defund the police. Exactly. You know. So that, that's that's great. I wouldn't have even thought to bring up those things. Well, I mean, maybe eventually, but. Um, I do think but it's you're, funny, but, but
1: you're right though. I mean, but yeah. those
2: are those are things that are now in the in, in the culture, in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. You know, I do think it's funny. I don't, honestly, I don't even really remember how Jordan Peterson responded to that. Do you? Um, um but I, I do think it's funny the way he pronounced Prada. He's, he's like Prada. I just, <laughs> the, the way he talks never ceases to, that, to not entertain me. He's Canadian. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Canucks, man. Uh, this is where he asked Michael Malice, who is they? Yep. Who is the they that you're talking about? Um, so that was, you know... I, I I think that's a common question for a lot of people. is like, who is this they? Who is this, uh, you know... Yep. And I think a lot of people, they ask that because what they're imagining is, you know, like a group of 12 people sitting in some kind of, like, secretive boardroom making decisions. And... I don't... That's not necessarily how I see it. I think of it as, like, a bunch of those boardrooms. You know, it's it's not just, like, 12 people. It's a bunch of people. And they're, like, not, you know... I, maybe some of them are members of organizations, but a lot of people are just people who went to school and got educated in a certain way and, you know, were raised to believe a certain set of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and these people... Um, you know, it's it's a lot of people. It's not like I said, it's not twelve people in a boardroom. It's a lot of people. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a very tiny percentage of the people on the planet that are kind of making these decisions about these blouses that are trickling down to the rest of us eventually. You know what right. I mean? So,
1: yeah, that's interesting. But the thing is, the thing that's interesting about this is that somebody's got to make those decisions. Somebody has to make the decision sure. about what the future holds. And this is the, what I see to be the problem. It's not that that power is concentrated in uh, a, s- a small group of people. It's that those are the only people who are who are doing it. Yeah. Those are the only people who are who are um, imposing their will on the future. Yeah. And normal people are not doing that. We're just going with their vision of the future. Yeah. You know.
2: So the fa- the, the fashion thing is it, uh, an interesting way to make that point because I think in some ways. the the people who determine fashion I guess they're good at what they do because fashion is huge you know like people love fashion so uh they're determining value the problem is that uh, a lot of these people who are determining value they're not good at it they have no fucking idea what's going on in my life you know um yeah I don't know well that's exactly it man that's exactly it I think that more
1: people need to be more people need to be comfortable imposing their will on the future Mm -hmm. um and, and not allowing those decisions to be made by other people yeah that's I agree with that. Now, I, I, I latched on to that thing about they also because because Michael malice kept kept saying that and that's like a easy way to brush off somebody for being a conspiracy theorist when sure. they when they're saying they like who's they yeah, yeah. you know I picked up on that too and this is the the note I had about it I said uh, Jordan pointed out malice's use of abstract descriptors. So he used the word they a bunch, but he also used the word university professors and also the corporate media. Mm-hmm. So he used these abstract terms that, again, you could, you could uh, easily build a conspiracy theory around that because you can't point to anybody, any individual person. They is like a mysterious thing. University professors, what does that mean? Who does that mean? I don't know. Um, and so anyway, uh, I, I put a note here. I said – I believe that this is the same dehumanizing, depersonalizing force, the idea to, to, of abstracting away from individuals. That's the, te- the tendency that the left uses to get people emotional and on board with their agenda. Like, so I point out words like patriarchy and power structure and uh, systemic racism, that these are also abstract words that you can't point to any one person and say, are you patriarchy? Are you the power structure? Is it you, sir, that systemic racism? So I can't point to anybody. So that that means it's a problem that doesn't exist. It's floating in the mist, and I'm pointing to nothing.
2: So you're comparing you're you're saying that university professors and the corporate media are you're comparing those to things like the patriarchy and the
1: language. I'm comparing the, the language. So it's like the the uh, a way to talk where where you aren't where nobody is responsible. So when you say they, nobody yeah, is
2: responsible. I don't agree with that. I, I mean, I think that when he's talking about university professors, he's talking about a specific people. you know. And uh, when he's talking about the corporate media, he's talking about specific people and specific actors that he'll lay out for you.
1: Yeah, perhaps. But, but perhaps. Um, but, but I still think my argument here is, is, is going to hold that, that the, the idea of abstracting away from an individual – um, that what it does is it, is it takes the responsibility, it takes the responsibility away, and I think it's a it's a problem. And so there's something that Jordan has said in uh, his books and, and lectures that the proper locus of responsibility is the individual. So that means you can only blame a person. You can't blame a system like what we're doing in in, in today with with you know calling the the government and society racist sure the government and society aren't, aren't a person you know i know we had this argument once before and i don't want to rehash it but i just thought it was interesting that um that uh, jordan called out michael for using those sorts of words because he also would would use the same criticism of the left in in that context in the context of words like patriarchy
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I do. I thought that was interesting too. When you know, Jordan Peterson was like, "Let me be the defender of the patriarchy for a second. <laughs>
1: um,
2: that was pretty funny.
1: Did you did you did you know what he meant by that? What he was getting
2: at? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Yeah. Um.
2: So, but I, I still, I, I do disagree because I think that, like I said, if you ask about the university professors and the corporate media, I mean, we can. I can lay. I can lay those out to you, and I'm right. not, like, particularly well-steeped in that kind of stuff, yeah. but, like, you know, he brought up William Durante and uh, do you know who that is? No. So, William Duranty is this guy who wrote for the New York Times, who, throughout the entire, like, Stalin regime, just legitimized everything he was doing over there, talked about how great it was over in the Soviet Union, you know, the, the... You know, finding excuses for genocide, stuff like that. Yeah. And now we know that he was full of shit. Back then, they gave him a Pulitzer Prize or what? Some kind oh, of huge Jesus. award. Yeah. So, um, and and it's not just Walter Duranty. These people are sprinkled throughout, you know, um, history in all in all um, industries. You know what I mean? Yep. So, I don't know. What's next? What you got? Um, I do. I think it. I thought it was interesting when they talked about the Constitutional Congress about that being a conspiracy.
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah. Joe, Joe Rogan's had that same conversation. Oh, has he really? Yeah, I yeah. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Um, well,
2: oh, just, well, I guess I probably have, yeah. Just, yeah, just,
1: I, yeah, just like kind of a, a way of talking about that word conspiracy because it today yeah. when you hear it it immediately you immediately dismiss everything. And you know, Joe's always like, well, but conspiracies are real and that happened with the Bay of Pigs and it happened with it happened with yeah. the our founding fathers. Yeah. So anyway, yeah.
2: Um Yeah, so I don't know. What what else do you have here?
1: Uh, how about this? Michael Malice said this whole conservative idea that people who they don't like are also oh, dumb yeah, is good. is really one of the stupidest concepts in contemporary discourse. This is where I fucking love it. He said it's a lot easier to train a smart dog than a dumb one. That's a
2: good god, yeah, absolutely.
1: And that goes exactly back to the earlier quote where he where he was where I was talking about uh, uh, Rachel Maddow basically telling people how to think or what to think or both. Um, that 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 goes over much better with a smart audience. So. To call liberals dumb is is a mistake. Um, you know, to call them dumb is a mistake.
2: Yeah. Um, that was interesting. I think around that time, they also started talking about how the SAT is basically an IQ test. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people don't like to say that it is, but basically that's what it is. It's an IQ test. Um, I thought that was interesting. They were talking about how... Um, like, in the 60s roundabout, the average IQ for somebody in the Ivy Leagues was not that much different than, you know, the average. Interesting. Uh, but now it's, like, through the roof. You oh, had yeah. To, you know, you have to have a very high IQ. I just thought that was interesting. It is interesting. Um, let's see. What else do we got here? Um,
1: well, I got a few. Yeah, um, how about this one? Michael Malice was talking about the cost of cynicism. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he says the cost of cynicism um, on an individual level cannot be overstated. So it, the cost of cynicism. Okay, so so I thought that was interesting. So cynicism is questioning whether something is worthwhile or being skeptical about something. And he's saying that there's a cost to that, to being okay. skeptical about something. He says if there's any chance that you're going to come out ahead, you better stand on your feet and go out swinging. And even if you lose, you go down knowing you did everything in your power and you'll have happiness, pride, and
2: self-esteem as a consequence. What do you think of that? I mean, there's definitely. I want to agree. You know, like. Um,
1: I mean, I think this is a this is a Jocko Willing kind of a statement. It's a very inspiring kind of a statement, and he. I think what he's saying here about the about the cost of cynicism. He's like, if you're questioning whether something is worthwhile, then you're not going to take the chance or the opportunity yeah, when great. it com- when it comes along. That you have to have confidence that things are worthwhile or that that you can make them worthwhile yeah. to, to, to give you the confidence to go to go after it so it's a little bit of a divergence but i thought that was a good one man yeah that's like
2: anti-nihilist you know it's anti-nihilist
1: absolutely and then yeah. he said he says if you live that way if you go out swinging then you at least you won't have any regrets and he said you'll have pride and self-esteem as a consequence so i think that is so funny because what he's talking about here is um is is like you know, being fully actualized, you know, um, t- taking your life into your own hands and having self-esteem and pride as a consequence. And, uh, we were taught in schools, we, you know, we were the first kind of elementary school uh,
2: wave that was taught, um, self-esteem as a, yeah. as a kid growing up, oh you know, I, I almost kind of wish that they just would have missed me with the self-esteem shit. You know, <laughs> I got mixed feelings about the whole self-esteem stuff. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I just think that a lot teaching people that, The way that you feel about how other people think of you, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. It just seems like it's not good to me in a lot of ways, but what do I know? I'm Uh, not John Piaget over here. (laughs) Why? What you got? What's next? Uh, So I I did think it was interesting when they were talking about um, Peterson kind of called, you know, they were talking about like, you know, the anarchic personality type. And uh, Jordan Peterson was wondering, what responsibility do you have to what brought you here And, like, with an emphasis on, like, the positive contributions that brought you here. And, you know, one thing about Michael Malice is he definitely tries to be, like, um, zippy. You know, I don't know if that's the greatest term for it. But uh, he tries to say things in a particular manner. He tries to be entertaining, Mm -hmm. uh, shocking sometimes. And he said to that, in the garbage where it belongs. And. While he is trying to be provocative, I do agree with him. Like, I don't owe Bill Gates anything except for the fucking money that it cost me to get his laptop. Yeah, absolutely. So I completely agree with. Uh, and that is another thing that I disagreed with Jordan Peterson on. Like, I, I don't, again, I don't know if I fully agree because I do. I mean, uh, Bill Gates is an impressive human being yeah. for sure, but I don't owe him anything.
1: See, I, so I can see where Jordan Peterson's coming from, but in an abstract way. So I don't know if it's going to connect with you, but. What, I think what he's referring to is uh, order. He's talking about the order part of the chaos order dichotomy we were talking about, which is something that we manifest as culture. So what, what he, the argument he makes is that we are beholden to our fathers and mothers that came before us for, for over the last you know tens of thousands of years yeah. because they built for us all of the structure that we inhabit. So if it wasn't for our culture, we wouldn't know what foods we could eat. We wouldn't know how to build houses. We wouldn't know how to make medicine. We wouldn't know how to make fuel. We wouldn't know how to build... We wouldn't know how to do anything. All of it was figured out by people before us. Yeah. So that we are beholden to the past for the world that we inhabit. They built it for us. And that's true physically and psychologically.
2: See, I I do... It does connect with me. I do understand what you mean. But I think there's a time and a place for thinking that way. And I think that Jordan Peterson, a lot of the time... You know, he kind of came to prominence talking about politics in the sense of, like, the Bill C-16 trans mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. But I think of Jordan Peterson more as, like, a philosophical mind than a political mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and Michael Malice is definitely talking about in, in like, political operation. You know what I yep. mean? Even though he's not a fan of politics, in some level, if you want... To get your own freedom, you have to operate it within it somehow for a while at right. least, you know, until yeah. you can find a way to remove yourself. Yeah. So um, that that's just what I think. You know, there's a time and a place to think like Jordan Peterson does, and in this context, I don't think it's helpful. Hmm. Interesting.
1: Um, I have a, I have a tendency to want to agree with Jordan because he's made such an impact on me. His logic and reasoning and the work that he's done to figure out uh, the things that he's confident about. Sure. Uh, I, I've so been so impressed with it that i just have a tendency of like giving him a, a, a pass um so it's interesting to hear you say stuff like that yeah
2: well i mean i you know i have tons of respect for jordan peterson too it's not i'm not like one of these anti-jordan i mean there are a lot of anti-jordan peterson yeah. people out there yeah. i'm not one F- of them fuck those people yeah i mean fuck I every single one of those people pretty much agree um it, it, i don't have problems with people who disagree with him i have a Problem with people who ascribe to him like sinister motives. Yes, like that's course. what I, you know. That's what I have a problem with. He seems like an okay guy to me. So, so there was. I'm sorry, man. No, you're
1: good. You, you're good. There was this one thing Jordan Peterson said, and I'm know, I know you probably maybe you have it written down, but I know you remember it because it was. It was just one, one moment where he he caught me a little off guard. Okay. He was a little bit passionate. Oh, okay. And he was talking because this was back when um, we were talking earlier about those abstract words like "they" that Michael Malice was using. And Jordan's sensitive to that because, because of all the stuff that he paid his attention to from like, uh, you know, the Holocaust and the the, yeah. the catastrophes of the 20th century, as he as he says, um, he's real sensitive to that sort of thing. Um, and so he so he says it's it, for him it's it's very important that that we. We return to the individual, and that we don't abstract to the group, because again, there's no responsibility in the group. The group is not a, is not is no one. The group is no one, and that's the truth. It's like when, it's like when uh, somebody's, <coughs> like when somebody's drowning, and there's a thousand people walking by and nobody helps, because the group is no one.
2: It just takes one person.
1: It just takes one person. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So exactly. So he says this. He says, the reason I've been concentrating so much on people's individual development is because I think there's less danger in that. Meaning, if you, you should oh, be, you should be you know fixing this. the person, not the system, yeah. right? A person is racist, not a system. Sure. So he says, the reason I focus on that is because there's less, <laughs> there's less danger in that because the revolution only occurs within a, and innocent people who don't want your goddamn revolution aren't forced into it.
2: I the <laughs> goddamn is what hit it in my mind. The, um, yeah, I mean, so I don't disagree with him in some sense. Um, In a lot of senses, I don't disagree with him. I do think that, though, this is another one of those areas where I I don't think that we can – I guess we can. I don't think we should wait for – I don't think I should wait for Joe Biden to do the inner work that he needs to do. You know what I mean? Um, I think we're going to be waiting till the end of eternity if that's what we're waiting for. So I just don't – again – I completely agree with him theoretically, and even in practice, in certain circumstances. But I think if you're trying to change society, um, I just don't... I don't know. I think in some circumstances it's helpful, in other circumstances it's not helpful at all.
1: To change the individual, you're saying? Yes. See, I... I don't know, man. I, I again, this may be this maybe just me leaning towards Jordan uh, agreeing with Jordan here because of the impact he's had and on. Maybe the I'm just leaning
2: towards Michael Malice because I fucking love the guy. <laughs> but not that I don't love Jordan Peterson, but yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I, you know, and honestly, man, it, this is this is pretty much semantics. I don't know that Jordan and Ma- Michael actually disagree. Uh, you know,
2: oh, I think they do talking on some things for sure. Well,
1: but on this idea oh, of the okay. of individual responsibility, <laughs> you know, somebody like, somebody like Michael Malice who believes in uh, freedom and and liberty, uh, the individual is obviously the only way that makes sense. So to me, they're they're probably more on the same page than sure they were making it out. But I just love that. I just love Jordan getting a little bit, a little bit hot under the fucking feathers, and he's like, uh, you know, some people, so, so people who don't want your goddamn revolution are forced into it. Yeah, uh, I love it. What, what, all right, what you got? Let's, okay, What's next?
2: See. Um. So uh, there was this part where they're talking about, um, I, and I forget how they came to it, but he was talking about Michael Malice was saying who in regards to like the New York Times, Time Magazine, these uh, these media organizations, like who are you to tell me who I should, like, valorize? Mm. Um, yes. And they, he, he was specifically talking about Greta Greta Thunberg, um, not in any kind of, like, particularly way picking on her, but right. just, like, you know, th- she's this high school dropout who, you know, is not going to go back until she, he says the world literally changes weather for her. <laughs> so in <laughs> so, and, and Time Magazine... Like in this situation, this is this was my thought. In this situation, Time Magazine giving Greta Thunberg person of the year, she is not the enemy in that scenario. Time Magazine is mm. the enemy. Yeah. Like she's some some fucking autistic girl who like has something that she's passionate about. On some level, even what even if I agree with her or not, good for you. You care about something, you know, good. That's fine. Yeah. But then Time Magazine comes along and tells me that I'm supposed to like venerate her mm. because she's you know. Like, that's a problem.
1: It's way more precarious than it sounds even because because the the goal that you – how do I put this? How do I put this? Um, The model that you strive to emulate, like whatever goal, you have this idea of this ideal human. Like if I could be the best person in the world, if I could be the best version of me, this is how I would be. Even if you don't ever express that or think about that, you have some idea of that. And what that is, is it's something that's made up like bits and pieces, like a collage of all of the people that you've ever respected in your life, of all the people that you ever admired and whatever characteristics they are. <laughs> and then you just you just glue them all together in this hodgepodge of, of, a, of a symbol and that you hold that in your mind as a goal of something that you that you want to become. And it's different for everybody. It, it's the idea of the symbol of Jesus, of the perfect man yeah. that you strive to become, That's something like that. And when Time Magazine puts Barack Obama or Greta Thunberg or wh- whoever it is on the cover in that light, with that fucking halo over their head, mm-hmm. and says this this is the perfect person that you should be striving to become, aspire. That is so. What is the word? Presumptive. It's it's the, maniacally arrogant. Fuck yeah. It's trying to manipulate me on the deepest level of value. I mean, motherfucker. I, I don't like that one bit, Kyle. Yeah. Sorry. Don't no, roll. no, got I'm
2: 100 percent with you. You got a little hot under the collar I, yourself. I did. There. Yeah. Should have worked a goddamn into it. Ah, <laughs> goddamn it. <laughs> All right. Cool. So what do you got? Uh,
1: let's so this one was um Jordan Jordan Peterson. He said to Michael, "You implied that I am not the corporation." So quote unquote, "I am not the corporation," um, and you are not the corporation. But Jordan said, "I don't I don't believe that's true." I believe I am the corporation. So the context of this is saying, like, let's suppose like a, like a corporation is uh, paying its employees peanuts and polluting the environment. Um, it, Michael Malice would say that corporation and in its in its leadership is are evil and they're the problem. And Jordan says, no, I am the problem in that situation. And Michael's like, what? And so this is what Jordan's trying to say. He's saying, no, I am the problem. So he says, I believe I am the corporation, even the evil corporation. And I'm so tangled up in that world, like we all are, that we bear responsibility for that fact. And so I think, uh, what to do about that? And it seems to me that you get your act together on a personal level to identify the enemy within, which is the right place to start, and then work outward from that. But your critique is basically a social critique. ...that you're starting with the institutions themselves, even though it's not the institutions exactly, it's the corruption of the institutions. So this is the quote here, and it's about it's about Jordan putting himself in the, the place of the SS soldier in World War II. He said, sure. I, I would have been on the perpetrator side of that catastrophe... So he's that's what that's the position he's putting sure. himself in here. Yeah. He's like the only way to fix the problem of the corporation that's paying its employees peanuts and polluting the environment is with me personally, whatever that means.
2: Okay. What do you think of that? Well, I think that the whatever that means is pretty important in that scenario. Because, <laughs> yes, it is. Because uh, this is a part. This is another part where I just like disagree with Jordan Peterson on this. It's like how does. How does me looking at, like, let's just pick um, Gavin Newsom in California, him being a tyrant and, like, locking the entire state down, Mm -hmm. Um, how does me saying that's me, how does that help anything? Like, I understand how it can help you with your own, like, personal understanding of what you're capable of Mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. I don't understand how that helps things practically in reality right now and the way that the way that
1: it does is it is it explains to you it illustrates for you your role in that catastrophe so so the, the so I'll give you an example okay if there's a corporation like that that uh, I disagree with for those reasons and I shop at Walmart and I own the stock in my 401k I'm part of the problem. I am responsible for that. I've disconnected that from the truth and pretend like it's not connected. Like I'm not supporting Walmart when I have their stock in my 401k and I go shopping there from time to time. That if I really believed that that was a problem, that I would change my behavior. That that you know. And I'm just giving you the first examples that pop in pop in my head. But Jordan would say something like, um, "Like you need to understand that." Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to connect this to back to this this bit bigger, uh, larger story. He's basically trying to he, he, telling you that you have to understand that if the culture was telling you that rounding up all the Jews and sending them off to the to the uh, to the ovens was was a noble and right thing to do, that you would be putting those Jews on the on the uh, on the trains. That you wouldn't be the one guy standing up and saying, um, "This is fucked up." And even though everybody is agreeing with this and doing what you, what you guys are asking, you guys should fucking stop right now. This is terrible. You know, you know this is the worst sin that, that you can imagine. That guy gets shot right away, and everybody else just just continues. Mm-hmm. So what Jordan is saying is, you have a responsibility to get shot in front of everybody. That you have, and, and this is because this is <coughs> symbolically this is what Jordan did mm-hmm. when he spoke out about Bill C 16. His 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 job as a professor got shot in the head. He stood up and said, the whole society is doing something wrong. I'm gonna be the guy that stands up and says it. So I think that's my responsibility. That's my responsibility. The corporation's doing something bad, I don't work there, I don't care, but it's my responsibility to stand up and say, that corporation's doing something bad. Um, how can we do that? How can we actually do that? That's why I said, don't, don't have your stock and don't shop there. Because yeah. I, that's what I was trying to think of. How do you stand up and say, you know, that's wrong?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's easier when it comes to people like Walmart, where it's like, you can not shop there, you can, you know, just, you know, get rid of their stock, whatever. Um, it, it's harder in the aspects of things that are not voluntary in our society. Um, so,
1: like, you could just not, not pay taxes, stand up and say, I'm not going to fund the foreign wars. Yeah. You could do that, and yeah. you would go to jail. Yeah, and, that's true. And, you know, but there's a way there's a way in which Jordan is implying that maybe that's your responsibility and if enough people had that felt that way none of us would be in jail for that
2: yeah I mean I definitely agree with that. Uh, I also think that okay so you've got this giant beast right this giant dangerous beast it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a dragon or something mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. and uh, if you just get rid of its head, it's not it's not as dangerous you know what I mean yep. it's uh, it takes uh, that control over all of it so I don't think that um, <clears throat> working towards getting rid of people like openly bad actors I, I mean I, I don't know if that's what Jordan Peterson is implicating it's like you need to work on yourself um, which I know he does say that yeah um, I just don't think that... I don't think that's going to do it in a lot of, uh, you know, uh, I think that works better on a personal level with your personal issues when it starts to, and, and, you know, eventually, you know, uh, in this fantasy world where there's no state, maybe that's all there is to it. But in this world where we have people with, you know, wielding power over each other, Mm -hmm. things are being done involuntarily. Uh, I just don't know that that's going to. I, I think it's going to take a little bit more.
1: Listen, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think that it's what Jordan's saying is not practical. Sure. But it, but it's morally accurate. I think when he says that's your responsibility, I think that is true. And if everybody felt that way, that that corruption would disappear. But, but instead, it's only one person here and there who feels that way, and they get smashed like a fly. Yeah. and every, all the other sheep fall back in line um, I think there's something like that
2: going on okay I don't know no I appreciate that because that that does make it make sense in a way because before I was just like I do not I don't understand what he's trying to say here like what he's saying doesn't make any sense yeah. to me
1: yeah it's like if you if you found out who the people were directly responsible for all the pollution and you went and shot them all you yeah. would stop the pollution you know at least temporarily, you'd stop it. One hundred percent, full stop. Pollution's gone. Um, but if you're just sitting there saying, "I don't agree with it. I think it's a problem, and uh, you know there's dangers in it, and it's worth whatever the cost might be to solve." If that's all you say, that's all you do, and nothing happens, if you would have just shot the guy, you would you would have had your your effect. But instead, you just said what you had to say. Yep. The thing is, if everybody said that, if everybody had that felt that way and had that responsibility, then then you know. That's better than going around shoot, shooting all of these guys in the head. It it, it, it it's a permanent solution.
2: So, yeah, I don't know something I mean, like that. The vast majority of the time, shooting people in the head is not my preferred solution. <laughs> but um, you know,
1: yeah, the vast majority. Not not in every majority. case. Not in every case.
2: Uh, I don't know if you noticed <laughs> this, but they were talking about um, you know the professorial class in the United States mm-hmm. and uh, Michael Peters or Michael
1: Michael <laughs> Peterson.
2: Michael Malice said to Jordan Peterson he was like that just means you'll be the last one up against the wall yeah that, that was, was good <laughs> <laughs> yep. in the video uh, Jordan Peterson got a chuckle out of it too you yep. could not really hear it though but uh, so I don't know I, that that thing that we just talked about I think that was like the last like major thing I mean uh, there's definitely other interesting things that were said but um, I don't know what else you've got uh, me I mean, I'm just, I've know. definitely got other things I could talk about
1: just this one thing, Michael Malice said, when they were discussing uh, <laughs> discussing corporations. And man, Michael said, Tropicana doesn't use force. He was trying to make a distinction between oh, corporations yeah. And, yeah. The, and the government. He was like, "You're free to use it if you want. Tropicana doesn't make you out to be a bad person if you prefer soda." Yeah, I thought that was a good one. Um, and in other organizations are playing mind games with people. It's deceit and violence. Yeah, I thought that was good.
2: Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting when. Uh, Jordan Peterson asked Michael – because Michael Malice said that the cost of them talking was that he would treat Jordan Peterson with courtesy, respect, and dignity. Yes. And Jordan Peterson asked him – this was kind of a non-sequitur in the conversation. He said, uh, what makes you think that I've earned it? Um, And I thought that Michael Malice's answers were, like, pretty good. I mean, it's like you – we as individuals kind of decide what the price of our courtesy and respect and dignity is, you know, like it's like, it's like a free market. I mean, you know, as weird as it sounds for talking about like dignity, it's kind of that it is, it's like you behave that way, a certain way. Your behavior is a payment to me in a certain way. Right. And my, what you get from me, the product is my respect.
1: And you set the price. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting.
2: So I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't, I don't know so I've
1: got one that might help wrap it up right. um, well I'll, I'll read these two things together and then you you tell me what you want to do here so these are both Jordan Peterson's that go together he says he says I do believe that degenerate power structures exist and they use deceit and that's reprehensible and should be fought in every possible way my sense has been that there's nothing more powerful to fight than there's nothing more powerful to fight uh, than that than true there's nothing more powerful to fight that than true speech," he said. Now, true speech is something that can, yeah, and, and you know what? I, it's I'm back. I'm I'm backpedaling on this statement. So let me just finish reading the quote. He, uh, Jordan said, "How many bad restaurants does there have to be before you get one good restaurant?" And the answer is not zero. Yeah. <laughs> he says the 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 answer is definitely some, because people have to practice and make mistakes and learn. And so you look at Four Chan and you think. How much wretched, humorless, racist noise do you have to tolerate in order to generate something of true value? And the answer to that, I think, is two. The first is we don't know, so be careful of clamping down too precipitously. The second is, maybe that's also something each should be attending to within the confines of their own soul, so to speak. That does not mean you hold no moral responsibility for what you're saying. What do you think?
2: Um,
1: because, because, you know, whether we're talking about ideas or forms of government or whatever it is, he's saying you're going to have to, you're going to have to deal with a bunch of bad ones to get the good ones. Yeah. So if what we're doing is trying to censor people, deplatform people, control the message that, that, you know, is affecting our culture. If that's, if that's what we're doing, um, we're not giving ourselves opportunities to see any of these gems.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that.
1: And the liberals should be the ones above anybody else uh, most disappointed about that.
2: Yeah. I think that's true. Um, I I think that ideas, they evolve just like things and you need that natural selection. You need things to die away. You can't just have... Uh, you can't have a, a small group of people decide okay instead of having a bunch of stuff written a bunch of books written and you get to see the gems and the garbage you have a committee of people who will say this is what the book we're going to write that's going to be a good book it's not it's never going to work you you have to have the trash to have to have those gems in there you know what i mean
1: absolutely so i, I have a good i have a good line that maybe maybe we can end on uh, you, you said uh, you brought up the word committee you ever, yeah. heard, you ever heard that quote, uh, yeah. that a, a zebra is a horse uh, designed by committee?
2: Yeah, I heard it with camel. Oh, camel? <laughs> yeah, either way, it's good.
1: All right.
0: All right. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work